0: Middle East and Africa, and uh, good afternoon Asia, all of our friends across Asia, and the and a very good late evening to Chris and others, the uh, late night crew in, in the U.S. Um, here are your biggest headlines at this very moment, but before we jump into, is, is someone burning with something they want to share before we get to the biggest headlines at the moment? Going once. I Go found
1: ahead. it interesting that Visa bought an NFT. Yeah,
0: it is interesting that they bought an NFT for $165,000.
1: PR, PR. That's yeah.
0: cheap. What, what's a, uh, not just any NFT.
2: It's not PR. It's not um, PR. It's related to commerce in the metaverse. If you read the whole article, it's related to buying an NFT to see how commerce in the metaverse works. There's a Forbes article I posted. Yeah, not a lot of detail said about it. I mean yeah, so they, they put thinking. out a press release
0: saying yep. that it's not yep. it's not about uh PR well,
2: <laughs> <No, laughs> no, it, uh, it's, <laughs> it's statements made. It's statements made by the Visa head of crypto.
0: We have a big announcement uh, that, that that we didn't do this an announcement. Yeah, it's yeah. because that's,
2: we are supporting the metaverse. Sure. If yeah. you let me, if you let me speak for a second, it's sure. clearly stating that it's done for commerce in the metaverse. Of course, yeah. So well, I mean, why else it. would
0: you do it? I mean, sure. Yeah, they have
1: to lead by yeah. example, right? Right.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, but they want to be—they want to be seen as uh, good players in the ecosystem because they know that's the threat to their dinosaur business model, and it makes it a little more easier. Sure. for Sure, we to... can
2: assume anything we want, man. I mean, you can assume a hundred thousand things. Yeah. but and it is it, what it or, that's what the article. Or like. we or it, we
0: can have uh, we can know people who work there who sponsor our events for a decade and actually know what's going on and, and kind of reveal it we'll in, a, in a clever way, like I'm it, doing then. right now.
2: Get them to come on and talk about it oh, because you, Forbes has an NFT um, portion of their magazine and they were coming. Right. They, they came to talk about it at 5 a.m. in the morning around last week, I think it was, in the v, We the Future Club.
1: Good, but they, are, yeah, but they achieved the objective because
2: everybody... Let, him talk. let him, him. him talk. I, I can't hear it. We got, got people, a, we to got placate
0: to our friend Fraz here and bring in Simon from Visa who's sponsored my events for a decade now. So... Uh, anyway. Let's see... Let's let's take a minute. Let's see if Simon's even on Clubhouse, which I doubt he is. I've never seen him here. I don't see him here. Okay. This is
3: the Clubhouse version of "Get Me Right," so get now, me so.
0: And this this is where Twitter's going to absolutely destroy Clubhouse. So now we got to find the link to the room. And send it to him in Facebook Messenger. Okay. Two more seconds here. Why don't you try and get the guy who's the head of crypto, to, Let's try that. Find, see who that is. One sec. Because that person is probably not in Stockholm.
4: Gmail.
1: Okay, whoever's you want to come on stage, put your hands up in okay. the air.
0: Okay, Simon, here we go.
1: Kai Sheffield.
0: And I'm just letting him know, we will be here for the next two to three hours. We will be here for the next two to three hours, if you can join. The guy from from Visa Cryptos, the guy who's the head of Visa Cryptos,
2: Kai Sheffield, I don't think that sounds like someone from Stockholm.
0: No, that Uh, sounds like UK.
2: Yeah, so I don't... And I don't think anyone from Visa is going to talk each other. And if they do, then that's against company policy. Okay. Well,
0: I just invited, India. I just invited Simon, and we will see if he will join. He he's a Brit, but he lives in Stockholm. Um, but let's see if he'll join. And then, yeah, he, he's into tech. He's a geek, a bit of a geek. And um, let's see if he'll reveal to you the real reasons, uh, why they do everything. Uh having, having worked with them for many years, uh, it's very incredibly simply obvious to me why they did it. Having spent, I don't know, hundreds of hours with them talking about how they do marketing and why they use my event for marketing and why they do uh, all the things they do around tech and, you know, how, their thoughts about startups and tech. And every fintech mean, issue I, I, you can think about. I don't know about. what the whole
2: competition here is about. I mean, we're reading an article. The head of Visa Crypto came on, made a statement. I'm telling you the statement.
0: Yeah, I understand well, what I their mean, statements are.
2: I could care less about how many hours they sponsored your events for. Great. That's fantastic, man. But that doesn't make you privileged to insider information. It Visa.
0: does, because I have insider information.
2: In, insider information of Visa? Yes. That means you trade on Visa stock? On no. insider information? No. Is that what we're saying here?
0: No, I don't trade their stock.
2: Okay. So you privileged to insider information on Visa. Is that what we're getting at here, brother? Yes. Insider information. Are you an insider to visa?
0: No, I don't need to be work at Visa to have inside information.
2: I don't get I don't get what corporate world we're living in. They reveal insider information to you from Visa.
0: I have information that is not available to people, uh, the public, about Visa.
2: That's, okay, that's something that you can put together through mosaic theory and economics. I understand that concept. But no, it's what I
0: put together through conversations with them.
2: Having sources that talk to you is one thing, but insider yes. information is a completely different topic. Correct.
0: Right? I, I have wait, it, the word inside information is a technical term. I'm exactly. Not re- yeah, I'm not referring to Wall Street trading information.
2: I don't okay, so let's be clear. Don't this.
0: reveal to me illegal illegal information. I have non-public information that's completely relevant to this headline.
1: Moving on.
0: So we'll see if Simon comes in and if he will reveal what he's already revealed to me. So the first big headline at the moment is. From Wired, researchers found 1,000 web apps from Ford, American Airlines, and others mistakenly exposed 38 million records stored on Microsoft's Power Apps service. Just another, uh, just your daily reminder that that Microsoft is not secure. (laughs) Super duper not secure mode. Super duper Swiss cheese mode. So the, I, I don't. The confusing part is is why this is a big headline. The only reason it's a big headline is because Wired wrote it, and <clears throat> that that's the only reason I can think of. Because everybody knows this is this is hardly, I mean technically it's news, um. Yeah, but it, when it happens, you know, so regularly for so many decades, it's at some point it stops being news, uh, but it's just. This is today's version. Um, the second biggest headline at the moment is from The Verge. Instagram says it's retiring the swipe up link feature, which allows users to visit external links uh, by swiping up in favor of tabable stickers starting August 30th. Okay. The swipe up will, no, will be no more. Instagram is planning to retire the feature, which uh, allows people to visit external web pages by swiping up. The next one's from Bloomberg. They say they have sources that Tim Cook and Satya Nadella, that's the CEOs of Apple and uh, Google, oh, sorry, Microsoft, respectively, plan to attend a meeting with Joe Biden on Wednesday to discuss efforts by private companies to improve cybersecurity. And, and thank God for this. Apple and <laughs> and keep in mind... <laughs> The first article of the day was about Microsoft being uh, essentially useless when it comes to cybersecurity. The third headline is Tim Cook and the CEO of Microsoft attending a meeting with Joe Biden on Wednesday to discuss uh, efforts by private companies that's them, Apple and Microsoft they're the private companies to improve cybersecurity. So it's basically Uncle Joe wanting to know why the fuck are you guys so fucking stupid when it comes to cybersecurity? Why why can't you guys make secure devices? Because uh, this is now having national security issues here in our country. Because as the first headline said, hey, the, no doubt the, one of the first questions Uncle Joe is going to ask Satya Nadella from Microsoft is, hey, Satya, I just saw a headline yesterday. It was the biggest headline in all of tech. The researchers found a 1,000 web apps from Ford, American Airlines, and others mistakenly exposed 38 million records stored here. And by the way, the Russians and the Chinese um, keep hacking all of our... The State Department was hacked yesterday. That was a headline yesterday. And we're getting hacked every which way, up and down and left and right. And what the fuck's going on, Satya? Why are the Chinese and the Russians able to get all up in our shit every which way give us a colonoscopy on demand anytime they want (laughs) what's going on and not
1: colonoscopy tyler
0: and now you know what i'm just translating this headline into street english for you bloomberg has sources that Tim Cook and Satya plan to attend a meeting by Joe Biden. Who who do you think asked for that meeting? You think you think Tim Cook and Satya are like, you know what? I'm running the world, we're running the world's biggest companies here. You know what would be fun? I'd like to go have a meeting with Joe Biden. No. Geeks never whenever geeks are meeting with Washington, D.C., I can assure you it's never the geek who initiated the meeting. Washington, D.C. <laughs> is the one who is asking for that meeting. So uh, if they're meeting with Joe Biden, what they should—the headline should read: Bloomberg, Joe Biden asks for Tim Cook and Satya to come explain themselves in person at the White House. Uh, wh- now that Uncle Joe's realized uh, there's no security digitally on on any of these devices, that's the headline. In an effort uh, to discuss efforts by private companies to improve cybersecurity, meaning. Um, yeah, here's the, the real headline is Joe Biden calls up Google and Apple, tells them to get their ass on Wednesday to the White House. That's tomorrow uh, to explain themselves uh, for the fact that, our, you know, their, their, the lack of security on all of this shit is causing national security issues repeatedly ongoing. And so we'll see what the outcome of that meeting is. But. I can assure you that's the real essence of what's happening here. So the next headline is from Engadget that Poly Network says it has now recovered all of 610 million in cryptocurrencies that it lost to a hacker that we, this was a huge story about a little more than a week ago, about two weeks ago that this network called the Poly Network, somebody came in and Mysteriously, swiped out six hundred and ten million dollars in cryptocurrencies. And they
1: offered him a job.
0: Yes, they did, and five hundred thousand dollars as a reward. But um, there was a whole bunch of really interesting things that was kind of missed by the mainstream press and non-geek publications about how when he set he had to set up a kind of receptacle to receive those cryptocurrencies. And he named that receptacle. I'm ready to return the money, you know, or something very, very similar to that. So meaning, uh, the the name of the you know, the to name the 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 receiving um, uh, digital wallet to call it. Um, I'm ready to return the fund, which which I believe was the exact name was you know he was just letting them know i'm not stealing this for my own personal reasons and then he held it there and made no efforts to and then he p- explained i stole i had to i had to secure the funds it wasn't that i was stealing the funds you you were not in a in capable of securing these funds that belonged to a lot of people 610 million dollars in cryptocurrencies belonging to a lot of people who expect it to be secure and you weren't securing it and somebody else could have came along. Anyone, A lot of people could have come along and found the same vulnerability. And uh, so I secured it. Once I secured it, I notified you that I've secured it on your behalf. And once you can prove that you're able to secure it, I will hand it back over. And he did. did. Or, you know, some people, of course, are going to assume that perhaps he only returned it because he would have got caught or whatever. Doesn't seem like it still doesn't doesn't appear that he was uh, anyone was able to uh name him anyways so the 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 full amount has now been returned this is the latest headline one of the most unusual cryptocurrency heists in recent memory has come to a close if you call it a heist sounds like he was did them a big favor in the end and uh them offering him a job is not unusual at all that's actually very common of when people find really high-level vulnerabilities in a system, that's somebody that you would at least want to engage to see if they would join your team. They've certainly proven they are uh, of, of a caliber to work on your team. So, yeah, this, that's actually very common. The, and so is the reward, by the way, uh, is also... Although this is just a very high-profile example because of the peculiarness of the exchange between the, the hacker, quote-unquote, and the, and the network. So the next big article is from Bloomberg that Facebook is running a test in the U.S. to bring voice and video calling back to the main Facebook app to reduce the need to jump between Facebook and Facebook Messenger. The new test will bring Messenger technology back into Facebook. Okay, you know, I don't know if that's such a big deal. Substack begin. The only reason I think that might. I think the real bigger reason there is once. If you're doing your calls inside of the main Facebook app instead of in the um, messenger app, just like how casinos design themselves so that, you know, as you walk through them, you're likely to spend, you know, it's hard to walk through them without putting one coin in the machine. If you walk into the main Facebook app for a call to receive a call, send a call, a message or a voice call, whatever, you're likely to check the Facebook feed again. And that's what they needed to do is get you back into that app and get you back in the habit of checking the feed again. People are losing the habit of checking their feed. And this would be my uh, wild conspiracy theory as to why they're now bringing that back uh, into the mother app. Substack begins... Uh, accepting Bitcoin as payment for subscriptions, initially a few crypto publications using payment processor, OpenNode. For those who don't know, Substack is kind of what's uh, symbolically destroying the traditional media in that they have provided a kind of a a platform for journalists and, and people to write their newsletters and be paid. And so others can subscribe to your newsletter. And... Substack accepting Bitcoin. I, at some point, we're going to get really tired of who, <laughs> these headlines of companies accepting Bitcoin. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's a cheap way to get uh, PR, I guess. The question is, who did, was this Substack telling the journalist, hey, we're accepting Bitcoin, can you please write about it? Or... Did they just decide to accept Bitcoin? Didn't tell anybody. And a journalist found out and, and decided to write the story. I can assure you it's not the second. Journalists don't go around um, looking for stories like that. So uh, this would be Substack felt it necessary to tell somebody. Um, and then you've got all of the... P- yeah, Well, the fact that it's on PR Newswire tells you everything you no- need to know. Because that means the company published it on PR Newswire. And then PR Newswire is where some journalists look for stories. And so here's the actual prnewswire.com headline of uh, OpenNode. So it appears, aha, now we know what really happened. OpenNode, the technology that they're using to accept Bitcoin on Substack, is the one who published this out uh, on PR Newswire. So it says... OpenNode, an industry-leading Bitcoin payment processor, announced today that Substack, an online publishing platform with over 500,000 paying customers, has integrated their Bitcoin API to offer Bitcoin payments to the online publishing platform. OpenNode will power both on-chain and Lightning. Okay, so OpenNode, this little startup you never heard of, has now a big client that you probably have heard of, which is Substack. So they put out the PR release on the PR Newswire. Some journalists found it, namely... Who picked this one up? Um, open Node Blog, Payments.com, Bitcoin News, Bitcoinist, Decrypt, Coindesk, Bitcoin Magazine. Pretty much just all the Bitcoin publications picked up on this. And when they write the headline, <laughs> they write it about Substack. Because that, to them, is the more interesting news. That Substack's accepting Bitcoin. Because that makes the price of Bitcoin go up, which is m- their main narrative that they care about. So, they're always looking for stories to, that would uh, increase the perceived value of Bitcoin, which this does, if Substack is accepting it. Um, at some point, they're going to have to stop doing these articles, because at some point, we don't care that uh, your grandma's blog accepts Bitcoin. But, the interesting that it was the tiny startup who put it out, OpenNode. Um, okay, so the next one is from CNBC. And it says, after criticism, a company called Center, or not a company, it's a consortium, actually an association, which was founded by Coinbase and Circle, says it will exclusively back the USDC stablecoin reserves with cash in U.S. Treasuries. Digital currency company Circle says it is changing the makeup of its dollar-pegged stablecoin USD coin to just cash and U.S. Treasury bonds. Thank God for this. Because Tether, which is sort of the competitor uh, in this sense as a stablecoin, was originally kind of backed by uh, U.S. dollars. And now it's been revealed not nearly as much as people once thought that there's a whole bunch of kind of shady shit backing up Tether, like uh, international paper, (laughs) probably Chinese paper. Who knows what else they've got in this weird pot that they're uh, backing up. And then does anyone, May you might likely be the most informed on that uh, drama where Tether promised about three weeks ago that they were going to do a full audit and become very transparent about what's backing up Tether. I, but I, I assume they haven't done this yet, despite their promises to do so. I guess she's shot. not there. That's okay. So Tether um is in a bit of hot water. They got they went on to C N B C their lawyer did rather, and their CTO strangely, and said, We are gonna do a full audit and be transparent about what's really happening with Tether. We promise. And a lot of people said, Yeah, right, sure you are. And yeah. We're still waiting for them to do that. But uh, this is really good news. For a stable coin, the more directly it's pegged to actual backed up by one-to-one for dollars, the better. Am I?
4: Tyler, I was just going to share that in the whole time that I've been in this space and studying it, I've always really been surprised how people have actually even interacted with anything with Tether because of that. Because it was, it's not a true stablecoin. The, true, the truest, most fairest stable coin is DAI. Dai, and that is actually a decentralized go- token, right? It's a, it's, it's definitely decentralized. When you look at USDC, that is pegged to the dollar, so that is the one that's an interesting one because that would be the one that I would have been using per se.
3: Yeah.
1: Tyler Ben and uh, is uh, it in tools, the audience? You want to bring them up? Okay. If I were to be able to choose between the two,
0: okay. And let's see if there's. In, oh, we got Michelle here. We got Ben here. We got John. John's back in here. Okay. And Maria. Okay. So the next biggest story at the moment is, uh, DD Reuters is reporting that DD has suspended plans to launch in the UK and Europe for at least a year amid regulatory backlash in China over data privacy. China's, and this is, uh, China's ride hailing giant Didi, which is the Uber of China, um, Uber tried to be the Uber of China and then realized uh, Didi, um, you know, was much more connected to the government and Didi was going to win that race. So Uber uh, made the negotiations to say, how about we just let you take over China, Didi? And if we leave, maybe you give us some percentage of Didi. Sound good? And Didi said, "Okay." So Uber did get, I guess, a a non-trivial amount of Didi shares to hand over their app to Didi in China. So Didi kind of took over. It was clear Didi was going to win China. Not really that easy for an American company. Uh, Didi, knowing what we know now, could have said, no, no thanks. Uh, We can just compete and our government will kill you and help us. And why do we need to give you any of our shares? Um, And no doubt that would have happened. There's no way in hell China ever would have let Uber uh, operate in China in, in, in the way that it would have wanted to, and DD was going to be able to operate the way that it has. But now this headline that DD suspends UK launch plans amid China crackdown on tech companies and their data, this is no surprise at all. This is barely worth publishing this headline. It, it, it will be surprising if DD does anything in the next two years worthy of any headlines. The fact that they're canceling plans to launch somewhere, that's about as obvious of, of a headline as I've ever seen because DD's being punished by Uncle G at the moment. And specifically, the, and by the way, this was never revealed properly by the mainstream media, by any tech publisher. But let's break this down because we have people on the ground who actually know what is the the real kind of motives that are at play here, which is Didi, which was backed by Jack Ma of Alibaba and Masayoshi from SoftBank, very notably. And they made a run for an IPO in New York. And the government said, don't do it. And they did it anyways. And they ran over to New York. They did their IPO. 24 hours later, the government shows up to shut it down. Right? And... They they start cracking down on the data and the government, the CCP saying that, you know, we need to investigate the data. It's all about the data, the data, the data it was all in the headlines that the government's So concerned about the data so that the and the question is, why what about this data is the government so focused on? And nobody ever really had a good answer for this unless you talk to actual people on the actual ground, like local Chinese folks. And it turns out that Didi, two years ago had a case where a driver raped a passenger. And as a result, by the way, other ride sharing apps have had, have the same problem when you're doing millions of rides. Statistically, something like that is, uh, um, po- it's possible. Those things happen. This is, you know, um, taxis also have the same issue, by the way. This is not unique to Didi. We're not trying to paint Didi in a bad light by saying this is my point. However, Didi did, similar to uh, other ride-sharing apps, decide, oh, let's prevent that from happening in the future. How can we prevent that? Let's put cameras in the cars right by the rearview mirror that can show everything that's happening with the driver and the passenger as a protection for both. Because, by the way, passengers do crazy things to drivers all the time. But now if there's a camera there, this will be better safety for everybody. Let's throw in a mic as well. All the better. Fantastic. So with the camera in the mics now in the cars for the past year and a half, uh, apparently they didn't really inform Uncle G and the CCP that they had done this. So the CCP members, of which there are uh, a whole bunch, regularly use Didi Didi on a daily basis. In fact, multiple times a day. It's one of the main ways people get around in the big cities in China. And when they were doing the IPO, they realized, somebody let them know, you realize Didi has all the conversations of all your CCP members for the last year and a half of every ride you've ever had. So if you were on a phone call and had a meeting, or you're at a meeting in the backseat of a Didi, which happens quite regularly, uh, all of that data is in the database. And so next thing you know, they were trying to do a day, – day, uh, as soon as um, the government realized Didi was planning an IPO in America, they s- tried to stop them even before they left to do a data audit. And they managed to IPO before that data audit started, then they IPO'd, then the data, data audit started literally 24 hours later. And the government just basically pulled everything down and stopped everything. They stopped all new users from signing up on the app, even in China, they removed it. And the way China works is you can use DD even outside of the DD app inside of what are called the super apps, like WeChat and uh, Alipay. So most people use WeChat as the super app. It's almost like an app store full of apps and DDs inside of the WeChat super app. In fact, a good percentage of the rides that are booked on DD are booked that way through the WeChat super app. And then they removed DD from the WeChat super app. So they're just shutting down DD in China until they did a full, um, you know, top to bottom analysis of all the data and make sure it's all secured, you know, in China in ways that is that the government is happy about. It's kind of a data sovereignty, sovereign cloud issue yet again. And nothing, nothing's going to happen with DD going anywhere until the government gives them the green light to do so. So, this headline that uh, Reuters puts out that DD suspends UK launch plans amid China crackdown on tech firms, and as it says, The Telegraph reported Monday against the backdrop of regulatory backlash at home over data privacy. That's, the, that's what the first paragraph of the article. Yeah, it's all about data privacy, it's all about the CCP making sure. Uh, you know, their conversations uh, from the back seats of DD rides are not going to be, uh, which potentially could have national security level issues. Uh, they got to make sure that stuff does not get out. So, um, again, nobody reported that. No mainstream publication reported that. That is just geeks on the ground in Beijing saying, I, I know why the CCP cracked down on Didi. Uh, Because they found out that uh, all of their conversations were being recorded and then they freaked out and then they had to shut that shit down before, you know, that shit possibly got out. So the next biggest headline is from Android Developers blog. Google says it will make app ratings on the Play Store more personalized by localizing by users country from November 2021 and device type from early 2022. Okay, that's nice. Um, ratings and reviews are important. They provide valuable quantitative, quali- quantitative and qualitative feedback on our users' reported experience. By localizing the user's country. Okay, so you're only going to see reviews from people in your own country. What's really behind that? Anyone have a thought as to why they would do that? I guess they, it it's on the face of it, it would give you a sense of how your own people in your country feel about this app (laughs) i guess they did some analysis obviously as google would obviously do in this case and and tested this and found out um this works better in the vast majority of cases like in the u.s they have that many of their non lower ratings are coming from non-us um countries or countries that they aren't that concerned about and the countries they are concerned about they have higher ratings and so now they're only going to show you the ratings from the country that you're in because if you're in a country they care about they know that's going to give you a better rating that would it mean, it also be, be a
5: oh. it has a lot to do with the i think more, more so the device models and os versions are important on android given the breadth of devices that are available Uh, And likely, like you said, because most people probably in the U.S. have higher end devices than on average, uh, the ratings are higher because the experience is better. So in the end of the day, it's just optimization for, um, I guess, for for, for higher ratings uh, more so and then just more um, affinity to to Android apps, uh, getting that this way.
6: So this is for just sort of all apps in the Play Store. They're showing ratings by country segment, right? Just so I'm clear.
0: Yeah, that, that, they don't make the distinction in the article, but that's assumed that it, it's going to relate to yeah every app.
6: Okay. Um, I, I, I could see a couple of reasons for why they do this, right? Um, the first would be like, if certain apps um, have different versions in different countries, like how Facebook rolls out a lot of its tech stuff in Australia because it's a smaller market, so there's a lot more glitches and stuff. So you might see, you know, more people annoyed on, you know, a Facebook app maybe in in Australia than you would say in the U.S. So if certain countries are are being like beta tested a little bit more aggressively than others, mm-hmm. uh, that that's could a have great many point. Implications. Um, the other thing that could be. At play here is if like there's ever like a a, like a brigand of of people trying to like downvote an app like aggressively for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. Yep. uh, If they start to see something coming out of certain countries, so I mean, I kind of see it. It's it's strange, but it's not that. Those are both. And
0: those are both perfect examples, actually, that I had not considered, and those are very likely. Which is from time to time there are campaigns, like uh, I believe it was India, where everyone got together to. Nigeria or some country where some interesting move had happened, somebody of note got banned in that country, and it caused a huge ban, kind of signature collection, a campaign of people got together to leave one-star reviews on one on Facebook or on Twitter or what have you. And now that would be isolated to one country and not globally. That makes perfect sense. And the other one that John mentions is also actually quite brilliant and and insightful, which is um, indeed... New Zealand is often a, a beta market for apps because it's an English-speaking country that has similar characteristics to, you know, Europe and the U.S. So they test things in New Zealand so that journalists don't know that they're testing stuff because there's not a whole lot of tech journalism out of New Zealand, and uh, so the New Zealand folks might be like, "I hate this new feature," and you know, start le- that might you might see people leaving comments that aren't rel- related to the rest of the planet, and so again, having country-specific reviews would uh, kind of obfuscate that from everybody who shouldn't really be privy to the, those comments. So those are both great examples. The next big headline at the moment there, although somebody, Renjent just DM'd me a really insightful point about the previous headline or what I should say was the third biggest headline of the day. So if you just joined us, we, the third, we're now on number five or six or seven or eight. But number three was from Bloomberg, claiming they have sources that Tim Cook, which is the CEO of Apple, and Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft, have now uh, planned to attend a meeting with Joe Biden tomorrow to discuss, quote unquote, efforts by private companies to improve cybersecurity. And I had projected my own wild conspiracy theory that Joe Biden has just realized that uh, the reason they consistently, the government can, keeps getting hacked. In fact, there was a headline yesterday that the State Department got hacked, and this might have something to do with it. That in in ten minutes following the realization that the State Department has been hacked yet again, um, let's get in uh, the CEO of Microsoft in here to explain what the fuck is really going on because the Russians and the Chinese are consistently giving us, you know, um, complimentary. Um, rectal exams at will. And we got to figure out what's really going on. That was my assumption. However, um, Regence, being the very clever fellow that he is, has another idea, which is it is Apple and Microsoft. uh, And so perhaps Joe might also mention identity verification as part of this, because Uncle Joe also is very aware of how there's a lot of division uh, amongst Americans, which seems to be exacerbated by social media, which would be Facebook and Twitter. Um, But the key to getting Facebook and Twitter to do identity verification might be actually Apple and Google, because Apple and Google have their app stores. The app stores could require as we now know apple is doing apple is starting to require apps to add in apple id as a login method for their apps what's interesting about that Well, it, starting next week when you download ios 15 apple id will connect with your state id so apple's id login system you have facebook login you have google login right as an alternative to using an email and a password we have to credit Dave Morin, who was at Facebook, who popularized Facebook uh, login. And that Facebook login is still being used today by an incredibly big number of uh, majority of apps, I would say. And Google realized they want to get on on that game, and they did. And then Apple wants to get on on that game to some degree, but they've really not made it a big issue until now with the new iOS 15. Facebook login doesn't actually have your state ID. You've never shown Facebook your passport or your Driver's license, if you're an American. Same with Google. You've never shown Google your passport or your driver's license. Those are not connected to your state IDs. Apple ID will be. That's your verified identity. Apple also has your face scan from your, you know, unlocking your phone with your face. And you combine those two and you have a rather strong uh, identity verification system in Apple ID. And now Apple's insisting all new apps use Apple ID. Very interesting. And perhaps uh, Google will do the same as well. And this will, th- so Renge's comment that perhaps this issue of identity verification will come up in the conversation with Apple and Microsoft CEO. Yeah, maybe that's interesting. I, but I think if that was the case, they would also invite Facebook and Google uh, to be part of that conversation, which weren't as of yet, haven't been named as part of those meetings. So, we shall see. I think it's more to do with the fact that the State Department got hacked and that where that was at least revealed yesterday. And uh, this seems like an, a bit of an emergency meeting to have them both come in on Wednesday. Uh, and, the, and this is coming out on a Tuesday. Uh, it's likely they both just got told you're coming to the White House on Wednesday. Uh, clear your schedule. We have important issues to discuss because the White House or sorry, the State Department has been hacked again and uh, we need to figure out how to secure this stuff because the, the headline does say it's about improving private companies' cybersecurity. So we'll see. But thank you for the comment, ringent The next biggest article is from Protocols. It UN-backed initiative Tech Against Terrorism adds the Taliban to its list of terrorist organizations and will, will alert tech companies when Taliban content is posted. Okay. So a new UN-backed initiative debatable how much kind of, uh, le- you know, legal teeth this has, Uh, it's just, I guess, a, a public service, and they're calling it tech against terrorism. They've added the Taliban to their list of terrorist organizations. Um, although John might be most apt to comment, I believe America has not yet, has not added Taliban to its ter- list of terrorist organizations, as last I recalled. Um, but this... Sorry, I'm getting texts from people <laughs> at the moment. I'm missing
6: out on a lot of what's being said. No on problem, this one. Tyler. What was the question?
0: This one's right up your alley. It says UN-backed a new initiative, backed by the UN, calling itself Tech Against Terrorism, has added the Taliban to its list of terrorist organizations and will alert tech companies when Taliban content is posted on their platforms. And my question initially was: First of all, I think America does not formally recognize the taliban as a terrorist organization and I, I assume you would know the answer to that part to get us started
6: i think they do but the thing is the taliban is a, there's multiple organizations mm-hmm. underneath this right so you have like like there's ttp which is um an acronym basically for the taliban in in, in pakistan there's um, there's some other like associated organizations that are are are, are linked with the Taliban that I, I think are almost certainly on the terrorism list. Um, but as a more broad perspective here, I, 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 you know, there's a pretty strong emphasis within U.S. foreign policy, State Department, FBI, a lot of the security agencies. They they I don't think they'd want to ban these guys from say Twitter, right? Like there there's a lot of intelligence you can like pull from from their postings.
0: I just want to uh, use my, you just gave me a reason to use the audio clap here. I agree a thousand percent. Um, I I want to, if the Taliban have something to say, I want to hear (laughs) why, why, um, yeah, it's to our benefit to hear everything they want to say. Um, I would rather they have the opportunity to get on Twitter at their, unless, by the way, unless they violate Twitter's policies and, uh, you know, make calls for violence and and things like that, then of course we Twitter doesn't want that. That's against their own policies. They'll shut that down. But um, I guess it doesn't hurt to be notified that the Taliban is on your platform or, or has made a comment on your platform. That's kind of a nice uh, free public service that this UN agency will be providing. But especially if they're saying something that... Uh, deserves extra attention but let's just take a little glance at this article it says top tech group adds the taliban to list of terrorist organizations I, I don't know that i would call this un-backed initiative that no one's ever heard of a top tech group that's kind of a misleading headline but tech against terrorism un-backed initiative will compile taliban content in its database and alert tech companies when it appears on their platforms. well that's nice of you says twitter and facebook and everybody you're going to let us know that's great uh, as a, you know Here's our special email address called uh, Direct to the Trash Bin. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, a key UN-backed group that advises the tech industry on dealing with terrorist groups online has added the Afghan Taliban, not not to be confused with the Pakistani Taliban, (laughs) to its list of terrorist organizations sending a signal to the tech companies that are grappling with how to handle the Taliban's takeover of the Afghan government since last November. Tech Against Terrorism, a group launched by the UN Counterterrorism Executive Directorate, has been assembling a database of known terrorist content called the Terrorist Content Analytics Platform or the TCAP, was designed in part to alert tech companies when content from its database appears on their platforms. But until now, that database has included content from only a small subset of terrorist organizations, including ISIS and Al-Qaeda, as well as far-right violent extreme groups, including the Proud Boys. The Taliban was one of the groups that we have considered adding to the TCAP for a long time. However, in light of recent events in Afghanistan and to provide clarity for the tech companies we work with on this, content... Uh, Admittingly challenging content moderation issues, we have decided to accelerate the inclusion of official Taliban content. Tech Against Terrorism wrote in a statement, this decision is supported by designation in some jurisdictions, notably in the EU, Canada and U.S. Treasury. Since the Taliban sees, okay, okay, so now the platforms have a little additional help from a U.N. group to let them know when terrorists are using their platforms.
6: So I just checked they're not officially on the US State Department terrorist list the the, the TTP so the the taliban Pakistan is um and so is um another sister org of theirs the the Haqqani network um both of those are on the terrorist list but um it looks like the 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 ter- the Taliban as as you know we kind of think of them as sort of the core Afghanistan unit is is not
0: yeah so it's it's a, it makes it all the more interesting um so the next and i mean twitter's policy is we we uh, no doubt that you have sc- thousands of people watching for the taliban to, twitter's already made their statement, for example that we uh don't police our our policy is if you violate our policy, you're off the platform we our jurisdiction is our app. What you do outside of our app is none of our business. If you use our app according to our rules, you're welcome to stay. If you violate our rules, you're going to have to leave. Simple as that. <clears throat> and so, um, <clears throat> if the Taliban miss, you know, violates one of Twitter's rules, um, it's very likely they'll be kicked off. And no doubt, if they get even close to violating the rules, you're gonna—they will receive thousands of emails within one minute of any kind of tweet from the Taliban that. Uh, is even close to violating Twitter's rules. There's a whole lot of people that don't want the Taliban on Twitter, understandably. And so there, this policing function certainly exists from private citizens. I guess it's helpful additionally to have um, a UN agency also kind of letting platforms know um, what terrorists are doing on their platforms. I guess it's free. I at, They're not charging for it. So um, I guess it's appreciated extra help. So the next big headline at the moment is that TikTok launches something called Effect Studio, which allows developers to build AR effects for use in the app. It's in private beta in select markets, including the U.S. Both Facebook and Snapchat offer tools that allow developers to build out augmented reality experiences and features for their own respective family of apps. And now TikTok has joined the game on a new website titled Effect House which is effecthouse.tiktok.com. TikTok announced, uh, asks interested developers to sign up for an early access to their effects studio on the form provided. Developers fill out their name, email, and whatever. And the website also asks if they're using Mac or PC. The project will, was first spotted by a social media consultant named Matt Navara via a tip from uh, another user. And now there's screenshots and Matt Navarra took screenshots and shared them on his Twitter account. And now I'm sharing this story with you. If you want to see the login screen <laughs> that, that Matt tweeted out of this new TikTok effects studio, but basically it's, it's another indicator that AR is coming to TikTok and, uh, what that will look like. We will soon know. And AR is quite big in Snapchat already. And, um, AR is also a bit used in Facebook, and uh, they already allow you to play funny things with your face during Facebook Messenger calls and whatnot, but it's, it's going to get um, a lot more AR-ish in the very near future. So the next biggest headline at the moment is a Nigerian mobile payments service called Opay raises $400 million led by SoftBank, not surprisingly, at a $2 billion valuation, and then this story broke when we met last time about 12 hours ago and Mobona added an important context that this is a Chinese founder in Nigeria with this fintech app called Opay, 2 billion valuation. So Nigeria has a new uh, unicorn, happens to be another fintech, not surprisingly. We're seeing a lot of fintech coming out of Nigeria to, to service Nigeria, which is a huge population, but obviously as a base to kind of expand beyond Nigeria as um, FinTech is really, the FinTech plumbing is being laid all throughout Africa at the moment. A lot of different players there. And once that plumbing is all in place, that will enable a lot more products and services for e-commerce and delivery and everything else to be more uh, stabilized on top of it. And uh, kudos to Nigeria for yet another FinTech unicorn. And so it was Sequoia China and Redpoint China who d- uh, also participated along with SoftBank. So with, with, Softpoint and, with SoftBank and Sequoia, th- those are two of the, the most premier investors on the planet, both investing in fintech in Africa. Um, I guess some might raise concerns about uh, the, the Chinese origins of the founder, Um I, maybe not. Yeah, uh, to, to oh. add to my additional context, uh, I believe the founder had return, had actually um,
6: um, built businesses in China that were unicorns or decacorns, mm-hmm. and uh, and the investors, the same investors, invested in him. So mm. they just follow him. He, he yeah. decides to go to Africa and and do the same thing, and they're like, "Yep, you know how high do you want to jump, we'll give yeah, you the money." Yeah,
0: exactly right
7: and that's i think that's um ambona and, and and i will usually talk about it especially in the digital inclusion room that one of the concerns most african founders always raise is is all the funding going to you know um outsiders but doing business in africa kind of founders even when it is um africans uh, it tends to be diaspora like me who have connections and networks and things like that because there are amazing amazing other startups all over africa That are really struggling to get any kind of funding so that is a little bit of a concern and and that's what you know everybody was talking about opal um that even even at at the beginning when everyone was knowing that um you know they are gonna become a unicorn but one of the other things um and one that we talked about uh, just last week is um, even Nigeria, having this much of success stories in Africa, just came up with the regulations, you know, to uh, you know freeze bank accounts of for fintechs, including Chapa, that that that's giving opportunities for investment. So that that I don't know if it's going to have an impact going forward, but that's uh, something to a little bit worry about. But anyway, I just thought that I should add that.
0: The, the next headline, a in-depth look at Solana blockchain project. Uh, well ahead of Bitcoin and Ethereum at $21 billion market cap. Solana is starting to get a lot of buzz in the crypto space. Amay, any comment on Solana?
4: Yeah, actually Solana is another blockchain that's doing some amazing stuff and amazing projects on there security of it i'm not 100 percent fully versed in it but i do know that they had a really nice drop of their first nft collection that really put them over the edge it is a lot more it is a lot less fancy and user friendly than ethereum and some of the other blockchains so i'm still exploring it
0: okay so the next one is yeah it's just an up and coming um, chain, And then the next one is that SpaceX says it has now shipped 100,000 Starlink terminals to its customers and has launched more than 1,700 satellites since, it, uh, since its first satellite in November of 2019. <clears throat> uh, Elon Musk's Starlink project, which aims to provide global broadband connectivity via a constellation of satellites, has shipped 100,000 terminals to customers. And so if they're at... 1,700 satellites thus far, and I imagine they're picking up pace. They said September it will be essentially usable to most people, and they will continue to upgrade it by launching more and more satellites. However, we did see headlines yesterday and the day before that now a lot of near misses are happening in the satellite orbit, and they're almost exclusively... Starlink satellites, and this is becoming an issue because um, there's four other competitors who would also like to put twelve thousand satellites in space, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of the number of satellites you want for a global coverage of a satellite um, system like this. The uh, SpaceX ultimately wants to put around thirty thousand Starlink satellites into orbit, and they have four competitors, so you're talking about 100,000 satellites. Th- and by the way, already we're having the reports yesterday was there's already a concerning amount of near collisions starting to happen with these Starlink satellites. So another 90,000, well, you still have most of Starlinks to go up. You still have about another 110,000 to put up there. They're now saying that the the, the competitors will likely have to cooperate and merge to, so that they don't all have to put up 30,000 each. Maybe all three of them have to merge to all compete with Starlink. so we only have room for another three. It's, it's getting a little crowded up there, um, or we're going to have to get better at um, controlling all of this. By the way, there was a headline two days ago that a Chinese satellite just exploded due to an impact from uh, a piece of a Russian rocket. And the, the problem is, is... of as as best to the best of the information I've gathered, there's previously really only been one notable satellite explosion. And that, you know, shredded the satellite into lots of small pieces. And those small pieces now are not following the direct uh, route of the original satellite. And that's a problem because now you have potential collisions and you have thousands of pieces going off course that can now any one of those pieces is traveling you know, at 25 times the speed of sound. It's faster than a bullet. And if it hits another satellite, it will shred that satellite, as just happened with the Russian rocket piece that just um, shredded the Chinese satellite 48 hours ago. So now there's a lot more pieces floating around. We've now had the second kind of collision. And there's the, the possibility for a cascade of this um, is now starting to be a concern. You're starting to see... Uh, articles about it. I don't know how, exactly how concerned the legitimate experts are on this, um, but it, we're starting to see headlines about it. Uh, so maybe it is a, a, a real legitimate concern. So the next big article is that Visa says that it acquired CryptoPunk uh, 7610, uh, 7,610 out of the 10,000 uh, CryptoPunks that were initially minted. One of the three hundred eight, three thousand eight hundred and forty female punk NFTs, and to which I want to know how exactly are they designating which of these punks are female and not? I, uh, is through it,
4: their traits, through their traits on OpenSea so, in the bottom left-hand corner. They have traits,
0: right? But uh, isn't that a little a presumptuous? In the traits,
4: it would say. No, inside the trait, well, inside the traits of the actual CryptoPunk if you go on ah. OpenSea and you, you look at it to the bottom left-hand side and OpenSea, see, you'll see what the traits are of that CryptoPunk.
0: Got it. So and the-
4: then you'll have the details.
0: Got it. So somewhere in the Ethereum uh, contract for that for each CryptoPunk, there's a description that this and it includes gender traits. Like a description and, it may, and it actually
4: will... it's a lot it's a lot simpler than that yeah if you go if you go if one goes to openc.io yeah and just looks at that crypto punk they'll see it because it's all public on the blockchain it's all transparent and then when you're on that screen if you go to the bottom left There's a description and properties. And if you click on the drop down carrot for properties, you'll see four or six boxes there that will tell you the rarity of the CryptoPunk and its utilities and its good fun stuff. And inside that you would know if it's male or female or if it's got some crazy utility. It'll be in there. And that's usually where you won't see it. I don't believe someone off the street would be able to see that in the contract per se because they'd have to look. And I don't think it would be so easily found, but that does populate to the front end of open so you can see it on that area. And anyone could see this. You could see this with the board apes and stuff like that. Any any NFT that you want to see what its utility and personality is, just go to the go to the CryptoPunks certified page, and then go put in the number, and then when you pull it up, you're going to see all the details about that CryptoPunk on the left-hand side, and all that good stuff. You'll, you'll see it. It's with every NFT. That's how they're built. That's how when you mint an NFT, you put properties in the smart contract, but the properties in the smart contract populate forward into the front end, which allows you to see what are those traits, what are those rarities, what are those, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing as the stoner cats.
0: Very cool. Thank you for that context here. And so they paid $150,000. You're welcome. Yes, for the CryptoPunk. And um, adding just a little bit more legitimacy to the uh, the whole concept, I would say. Um, Tyler. Yes.
4: What what Faraz was saying earlier is pretty valid. They said something very specific inside the article, and one sentence that resonated with me, which I'm going to paraphrase, is that they want to get in the game to understand the game. Sure. So in order for them to get into how they could provide payment services inside the metaverse or to nft collectors and curators they would have to know the experience themselves and this is not the most expensive crypto punk it's not no no
0: far not far from it
4: far from it i think the most expensive one is in the millions but my point is is that all they did is dabble and dip their feet in and this is what i tell my clients as well i said if you want to understand the space get like a hundred dollars You know, invest in a little piece of artwork from an artist that you like their stuff, and then that's it. Just experience what it's like to make a transaction on the blockchain purchasing an NFT as a collector. And that's the beauty of what they just did. And clearly they said it in the sentence that they want to have Provenance as the first company, which is a payments provider, that actually went into NFTs. Because MasterCard has not gone into NFTs, have they?
0: Not that I'm aware of. Um, and actually
4: crypto.com is already linked in with the Formula One in Bahrain. They did a whole drop of NFTs for the Formula One in Bahrain. So, you know, they're they're already moving and crypto.com's card carrier is Visa. So you see this is the first time Visa's actually taken something themselves directly.
0: Mm-hmm. So the they were so here's a question. If Visa does this, of course, they could have done it anonymously, right?
4: Well, not really, because someone would find out that they have a wallet with a crypto punk in it because everything on the blockchain is transparent.
0: Well, they could have done it without announcing it.
4: Oh, yeah, but they're announcing it to sort of probably also take a dig at MasterCard. I mean, they're competitors, aren't they? So, I mean, at the end of the day, they just want to be provenance and provenance, as you know, Tyler, is that they want to be the one that's known as Coca-Cola and Pepsi. You know, they want to be known as the first payment provider that's been the foot in the ground, supporting the NFC community. And because NFTs people, there was another article that was related to this and, and it tags in dovetails to what you're saying. There was an article that people were like, I don't freaking understand the NFT community. I don't understand why people are spending this kind of money on this shit. Blah, 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 blah. Okay? Look, I studied art history for four years. Art is in the eye of the beholder. So at the end of the day, if someone wants to spend their money on a piece of artwork and they want to spend millions, that's their problem, not mine. You know, I wouldn't do it, but they could do it. I'm not going to tell them what to do. But in that article, the people were thinking the NFTs is a bubble. It's not a bubble. What's driving it is Community community like community the fact that they have community and visa wants that community because that community is tight and that community looks out for each other and visa wants that because word of mouth advertising is your strongest advertisement and once those customers come on board they'll be loyal to you and that's what they want out of the metaverse they want the loyalty they want the strategic loyalty of those nft folks the metaverse artists the vr ar artists they want their loyalty and their cons- their customer their business and in order to get their business they have to be friends with them they have to join the community and in for people in the community nfts to trust you they want to know that you have skin in the game
0: yep i think you're, that's how they learn now you're getting much closer to the conversations that i have with visa on a very regular basis pretty much which is skin hey, in the game. do
4: have
6: nfts fully adopted kyc rules yet and the house like have the payment providers run into any issues in around that no, nope, on which basically, chain you're talking
0: about, I guess.
4: Yeah, it depends on which chain you're talking about. I don't see who's asking the question, but it depends on which chain you're talking about because basically OpenSea was founded by two two uh, partners in 2017 in June and they have on they've already done their due diligence to bring the on-ramps on already like back in 18, and 19. So they're pretty they're pretty senior in the space. If you talk about other other chains, the KYC's being done at the level of them securing the the cryptocurrency to make the purchase on the blockchain so it, it has it's not the open sea that's responsible for that it's it's the the person who's responsible for that is the exchange that gives the person their fiat exchange to crypto because then the person comes with crypto to open sea or foundation or rare or one of the uh, super rare or um, Rareable or matic polygon they come to with their crypto so the kyc is being done by the exchange still or who's ever giving the on-ramp like ramp uh there's a number of like there's wire there's a number of them that are taking like sepa and credit card and cash and paypal and they're making the transaction easy for that artist to convert their fiat, whether it be pounds, euros or yen, into crypto and from there they're using that crypto into OpenSea. The challenge that's happening there and, and it gives an, the other side of it is is that people now on OpenSea need to start verifying their artists faster. Because people are being tricked by, for example, Oni. Oni Network just went balls to the wall the other night and it was an amazing anime inspired project. And the floor, when I was told about it in Amsterdam, because one of the smart contract person's Dutch, it was like maybe 0.03 or 0.05. And literally, if you look at the floor on the ONI project, which is spelt O-N-1 network, I think the floor is like three and a half ETH now. But the point is, some girl bought a fake ONI. And it was because OpenSea has, no, has a underdeveloped due diligence space to the artists. And the creators, and that's the big argument in the space of NFT creators and artists now is how do we get OpenSea to accept responsibility to certifying artists first, so someone cannot mint something and say it's the real thing when it's not really the real thing, basically counterfeit. So I think that's more of the problems you're seeing on OpenSea nowadays than the KYC, because the KYC doesn't belong in the OpenSea side; it belongs on the exchange and on-ramp side.
6: So, yeah, I mean, this just sort of screams like I mean, art's already like a hotbed for money laundering. I, I've always kind of like I, I get the, the the back end value of the blockchain. Like, I really do appreciate it. Um, uh, I've been ar- arguing it for for years, but this this just sort of screams like illicit capital flows to me, like in order to wash currency.
4: Well, I mean, I I would probably say in the simplest way, John, it was John, right? I would probably say in the simplest way, sure, that's always the possibility because. Art has been nefariously known and notoriously known for people hiding money in art. So that's nothing new. This is just a new platform, a new way of having art. And I think one of the things that the co-founder of MetaPurse, which is the largest NFT fund of 60 billion out of India, uh, Tubador, he's on Twitter. You know, I heard an interview with him and he said something very profound and I really empathize and align with what he said This is the first time I've ever seen in my whole half a century of living that brown people, black people could actually start collecting art that's affordable. And that's what I think is really powerful. And I think what people are misconstruing is that they're seeing this large NFT community and they're automatically thinking to what they know of the space of artwork being people hiding money. But I hate to be, I don't mean to be rude, but most of the people that I've been in the space for the past four and a half years, five years... That has been not the case in this space. It's been more creators and artists and filmmakers that have been like, shit, we could finally get our due due rewards for the hard work that we put in. So it really comes from the eye of the person who's perceiving it because we all have our truth, but your truth is not my truth. And vice versa, so at the end of the day, you could there could be a, a per, uh, an assumption or a perceive a perception there, but it doesn 't make it reality and that 's why I think visa is also getting their feet wet because of what you just said, John, If they are going to get into this space, they have to understand it themselves so they could protect and defend what they 're doing from individuals that still have this mindset that it 's going to be somewhere to hide money and Of course, there is that with real art in real life art. But I do understand where it could be perceived in the virtual world, too. And I think that's also another element of why Visa needs to get involved in it so they could see what it is, so that they could be back to their investors and their financial guys and be like, look, it's not not crazy. But also they can bring some security to it as well.
6: Okay, I mean, I don't want to hijack the room on this topic, Tyler, but I I think there's feel feel free to go
4: for it. No, I,
6: I, I just, I, I think it's a little bit kind of eye rolling worthy to say that like, this is just like, you know, people from lower developing countries getting, getting their fair due, fair due. I mean, I, I'm not saying that's not, not the case. I'm absolutely sure that like the history of art is like littered with people who have like been routinely stepped on, um, and, and been taken advantage of music industry as well is one of those places that certainly comes to mind. Yeah. Um, but, like, the sheer amount of capital flows on the exchanges where you actually see, like, implemented KYC rules being implemented versus, like, some less, shall we say, um, regulated exchanges. Like, you, there, there's, there's no way you're going to be explained to me that why Binance is set up in Malta. Like, it just, it, some of this stuff just doesn't pass muster when you look at, like, the volumes that they're doing. Um, I, 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 I'm not saying that it's, like, dr- being driven, the underlying premise here is being driven by criminal conduct. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I like the, the underlying IP value behind some of this stuff. Um, I, I just kind of want to, and much like Visa, I imagine in the story kind of want to get a sense as to what the heck is going on here because, you know, yeah, the, the, the individual brokered art sales are, are nasty for this and, and sort of the, the, the physical space, but it just seems like this is a little bit, um, yeah, it, it seems like the volumes and the, and the valuations here are a little bit. I'm
4: John, worth I'm,
6: worthy of raising <laughs>
4: John, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and find the article where it would think it was Forbes that actually came out and said that they they really saw that it wasn't a bubble NFT. And I just want to separate two thoughts. And I know Tyler's probably going to ring his bell on this one. Let's separate Binance from NFTs for a moment because there are two separate processes there. Binance is an exchange. NFTs is a marketplace on OpenSea that's a Dutch-style marketplace like eBay, except in the crypto space, for artists and people to be able to trade and sell and sell their work. So if we make the separation there, the main process sits on the responsibility of the exchange who's doing the exchange of the fiat for the person. That's that's where the that's where the responsibility lies inside OpenSea, but, It is artists. It's people yeah, selling but, their work. But
6: that but you still have to have like the conversion into the crypto and yeah. I mean, but there, that there doesn't happen
4: a, on that doesn't happen on Open That happens. Yeah, but who cares? The point
6: OpenSea. is that if it's being used as an illicit transfer of, of, of capital, like, like they well, might not be responsible for it, right? They might just be yeah. responsible for the, for the side that they are. I don't care about that. Like I'm not I'm not saying like that aspect of it. I'm just saying like. If the capital is still being derived from, uh, you know, an illegal source in order to wash it, then that's a problem.
4: Well, that's that I do agree with. And that's why finance is the one that we've always been watching and still continue to watch. But I will say one one little piece about this is really interesting as well, because I am a channel certified consultant. So I do and can go through the I mean, someone's even said, are you FBI? No, I've just been trained to look at um, the wallets and see and follow where they're going and where the money's going, uh, that's what I'm certifying in from Singapore. For about two years, it expires next year just to be super transparent. You can see it on my LinkedIn, not hiding anything. But I would simply say that when it comes to doing that type of investigation, John, you're absolutely right, but that's why Chainless works with the FBI. And the challenge there, which I would probably say is the bigger challenge, which I think you're pointing out, is when you have a large whale, which is what we call people with tons of crypto. How do you follow when it's dispersed? And the people that do that are the people at Chainless that work with the FBI. Because when you disperse a large wallet, the way to demonstrate it being hidden is by dividing into multi- thousands of wallets. You will not be able to find that yourself. That's something that has to be someone that has the tool. And that's why the FBI works quite a lot with chainless in Singapore, because this is what they do. And I, I like leaving the job of the FBI and those that have the expertise to them, because that's what they're doing; that's their jam. So, th- so for me, it's NFTs. To Go make,
0: on. to I want to. I think you're both making fine points, but what I think is interesting is, in the history of technology, the geeks come out. You know, they have an idea of how the platform will be used. Other people have different ideas for how to use that platform. People can do. Uh, money laundering, even though the, the NFT platform creator may or may not have had that in mind as a use case, you know, when they created the platform. Let's look at uh, MP3 file sharing from Napster, right? N- Napster was allowing for the, you know, transfer of files. It was initially uh, legally, you know, illegal of intellectual property theft. One, you know, the rec- record label, the, the owners of those rights would say, but um, And then that evolved into, over time, as platforms always do, uh, the governments get involved, things get regulated into place, and it it, it now evolved into where we are with, we could say, Spotify today or Apple Music or the likes. And this technology of NFTs uh, will also evolve and continue to evolve and will eventually take on more interesting, legitimate forms over time and the the loopholes and the nefarious use cases, assumedly uh, will get buttoned down over time. But in the short term, when these technologies start, they often are used by the porn industry, the money laundering, you know, a bunch of bad behavior because the geeks who start these platforms aren't mindful of how it could be used in those ways necessarily. And they do intentionally avoid regulation. Geeks generally When they're innovating, want to go to the least regulated environment possible, which Malta is a far less uh, regulated, you know, uh, kind of more friendly to the innovator, to put it in a kind of funny way. There's
8: something else with Malta, by the way, that I just read about like the other day, and I'm certainly not an expert because I've only read one article on it. But apparently there's a tax treaty between Malta and the United States that allows legally a loophole which I guess the IRS is now looking at, for U.S. taxpayers to convert taxable income into non-taxable income through creating a pension in Malta or something. I mean, I think, yeah, you know, it's it's very complicated, so I don't even want to like, you know, misstate it. But if you Google stuff, you'll find that there is something, there is something about a tax treaty between the United States and Malta that people have been using a legal loophole that apparently the United States didn't realize the loophole when they signed the deal. And so that may be another reason why a lot of transactions are going on over there.
6: Okay. malta has got a pretty rich history with money laundering. Like the the, the Italian mafia has been doing it for,
8: for decades. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying <laughs> yeah. there is a tax treaty. And even though just, there, there are like legal arg- articles on the web, you can find that people have found this like kind of for for now you know what they're thinking is a legal loophole but you know how tax shelters are and everything the irs can come back and say it's abusive and i wouldn't even say this is a tax shelter it has something to do with like pension distributions from uh, a malta pension fund being not taxable if you're you know it's really complicated but it's it's but it's they're following the tax treaty on it and you know so
6: Okay. No, and I think no, you're absolutely right. There's also I think the UK has something very similar with Malta back when they were kind of a a weird protectorate of 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 the United Kingdom after World War II. So there's some weird legacy stuff that that's involved with Malta on the finance side.
0: Okay. So other interesting oh not we're not yet into the interesting headlines. We're still going through the big headlines. The next biggest one is uh sources advice it says they have sources detail Unity's GovTech division, which contracts with governments and militaries, as some staff complain about the lack of transparency around such work. It's kind of interesting. I happen to know the, the founder of Unity, David, speaks at my events very often. David Helgeson is from Denmark, by the way, although his office is in Stockholm because the gaming industry is not in Copenhagen. It's in Stockholm, and he wants to be around all the gaming studios, which are all in Stockholm. So um, anyway, Unity is a pla- as a platform was initially designed for video game development, but it's being used more and more for all kinds of interesting things, including architectural type stuff, city planning type stuff, and this article is from Vice is all about uh, how it's being used by GovTech, and the lack of transparency around the game engine maker's govtech work which contracts with the Department of Defense has concerned employees and this is vice putting its nose in something it i mean i'm all for journalists uh bringing transparency to stuff um we don't necessarily need journalists diving deep into the department of defense's um use of a tool to help train soldiers um which is essentially what's going on here. Let me just read a little bit of ICE's article here. It says, the lack of transparency around the game engine, around Unreal's, I'm sorry, Unity's, um, which is, (laughs) those are the big two competitors, by the way. Sorry for that slip. Um, For Unity's GovTech work, Unity, the popular game-making tool, has long been used in industries outside of the video games. Unity's site celebrates this versatility, Uh, versatility, saying its technology offers incredible possibilities for film, engineering, architecture, automotive, transportation, and more. Yes, Unity's site also proudly lists its technology being used by the government and military, but internal Unity documents obtained by Waypoint show that the company is struggling to explain why its employees, who supposedly signed up to create tools and empower game makers are now directly or inadvertently developing technologies for militaries with the stated objectives of fighting wars. According to three sources Waypoint Waypoint talked to, some Unity employees might develop technology that ends up with military clients without even realizing that's how their work was being used. These sources, a mixture of current and former Unity employees, were granted anonymity to avoid reprisal. According to the sources, the The part of Unity that's pursuing government and military contracts is something code nicknamed GovTech, which the company described in a public presentation from March 2021 as intended to develop technologies across our products that help the government adapt AI and machine learning. One internal memo titled GovTech Projects Communication Protocol, which was shared with Waypoint but not distributed widely within Unity itself, outlined how the company should talk about these contracts with internal-external stakeholders and makes clear Unity standards the delicate line it's walking. We need to be sensitive to various values and beliefs which people perceive our engagement with government, specifically Department of Defense, reads the memo, which instructs managers to use terms like government or defense instead of military. Under do's, under don'ts, the memo instructs employees not to discuss any projects that involve the use of simulated or virtual weapons or training to harm other persons. Okay. It's a long article, so I'm going to tweet this one out for those who want to do the dive on it. But um, this is kind of intentionally secret stuff that's not meant for the public to know about necessarily. <laughs> how the Department of Defense is using a technology to... The Department of Defense is in the business of the military and creating a stronger military to defend its country. And if they feel that they can use a, 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 some software like Unity, they will use it. And if they ask Unity, hey, we've got uh, a few billion dollars. Would you like some of it to kind of help? We, we feel like your platform could be helpful to us in, in improving our military. Uh, how much would you charge us to build a, you know, a, uh, the following features as a huge client? By the way, this happens all the time with startups, where as a, I, as a small startup, got McDonald's as a client. McDonald's says, hey, could you add these features? And I say, do you have a budget? And they're like, yeah, how does you know, $300,000 sound? And I say, sounds great. When would you like those features done? This happens all the time with platforms, if you're building a platform for big clients your big clients start dictating to you which features and functions and products and services they would like, and, you, and they are willing to pay for them. And you happily take that money, especially if it's the Department of Defense, which has the biggest fucking budget on the planet as a client. That's the best client you could ever have as a startup because they notoriously overpay by 100x what any other client will pay for. So, of course, Unity is going to make what the Department of Defense asks for, and it, how the Department of Defense uses it, that's their fucking business. And you, as a, an employee of Unity, might say, you know what? I don't want to be on that team that's making that product for the Department of Defense because I don't like the fact that my country fights other countries. Okay, well, then don't work on that team. Tell your boss, hey, boss, you know what? Can I go work on the video game product You know, that, that I w- originally was excited to sign up for? So uh, are we to believe that team members are being forced to work on the Department of Defense's um govtech um platform that they don't want to work on is is that the essence of the argument that's being made here or should we argue that unity shouldn't be uh working with the department of defense or the department of defense shouldn't use a video game platform you know to train their soldiers to you know we have to assume i mean unity makes a lot of games about soldiers fighting in wars should should we stop video games about fighting altogether which are all of the top hundred video games of all time, maybe half of them are war simulation games. Should the employees, the same employees who signed up to work on the platform, which is used by all these war playing video games, they're, they're okay with that, but not okay when the actual department of defense feels like it could enhance and reduce the casualties of their own, uh, soldiers. (laughs) It's a really wild conversation. It's a, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the strong point they want to make out of this is. We believe in the freedom of expression, and the Unity engine is a tool, a tool that can be downloaded and used by most anyone. It's impossible to truly police or censor all of its uses. Exactly. You can, any, you and anyone can download Unity and start developing on top of it. And what they, what developers do with it, is kind of up to them. You can make any game you want. I'm not sure that Unity really cares what kind of video game you make with their platform. If you make something bad, the market's going to tell you it's bad, or the government's going to tell you it's bad.
4: Tyler? Yes. It's a very interesting statement around Unity and game development, right? Because if you decentralize game development, as they're doing Avogadro and Axie Infinity, you do make and GameStop as well, you do make it possible that the designers of the game, the creators of the game, could create that which they want, right? Because it's decentralized. And I think that's very interesting as well, that the creative autonomy around designing and developing the game engine itself, like how the game is played, is super, super fascinating to see how the world of gaming is going to change now that it's becoming decentralized.
0: So the the article says, Here's the main, you know how articles always have a huge breakout quote, like right in Could the be? middle of it? Yeah. One of just the huge um quote that they put in 2000 point font, right? It says, I don't think most employees were warned that they would need philosophy degrees before accepting a position at Unity. No, they yeah, don't. They don't need they, that at all. They, what they, they need is a little common sense. And when they feel like they're being asked to work on a project they don't want to work on, they say, hey, boss, you know what? I'm not I'm not a big fan of uh, being on this particular project. We have hundreds of other teams on hundreds of other projects, architectural, traffic, city management. Maybe I could go work on one of those projects. No, you don't you don't need you don't need a philosophical degree in philosophy to work at Unity. That is a patently absurd Uh, quote and if that this is just a mentally tortured individual who would say such a thing
4: i i have a very random question around that whole philosophy philosophical because i mean this does make it philosophically challenging to look at gaming development right because tyler you just said that majority of the top games are like really blood and gore guts yeah but
0: i'm okay with that i'm okay with eight-year-old kids wait, shoot, wait, shooting wait, each wait, other wait. in the face but yeah. i don't i don't want the military using this to train their soldiers to be uh less likely to be killed that i don't want to do
4: i think i'm more looking at the first thing you stated because right but my, this, my point this is, is also the big challenge too
0: maybe that's why you need the philosophy degree because Correct. your yes, argument is the, I, I want for mature to work
4: audiences. Yeah. Because they started to do this. Remember, Tyler, back in the 80s, games did not have like mature audience tags on them. So hey, let now me read this. They're...
0: It says Unity's work with the government isn't a secret. There's a giant promotion on Unity's website about it. So th- this is not only not secret inside the company, it's not even secret to the public. They're very proud of the fact that they're working with the government. So are, am I to believe you were tricked into working on this team? What exactly is the problem here? Unity says, this has been largely received poorly internally for those that know about it, said one source, one former disgruntled former employee. Waypoint uncovered three government contracts with Unity in 2020 alone, including $428,000 contract in June 2020 with the U.S. Air Force for a modeling and simulation prototype. You know, so their pilots can do simulations of flying the planes. That would function as a multi-domain operations advanced battle management family of systems. The Air Force signed a new $220,000 contract with Unity with the same description in October 2020 as well. The third contract for $23,000 was for a Unity Pro subscription for the U.S. Army. The online records also show that the Navy paying for Unity licenses in the past, etc. Yeah, they're they're using the platform to build warlike games just like your 8-year-old child does but they're using it because they're actually training on it because it's useful. Should we not, should the government not use video game platforms to develop training scenarios and build their own video games that are a little, maybe a little more realistic to train their folks. And if you don't, my, my point is, is do you, do you believe for a second somebody was like, you know what boss, I don't want to be on this team. And the boss was like, no, you must work on this team.
4: Tyler, it's it's very interesting. Unless you are in China, because what you're saying is also really equitable as well, right? I mean, my father was in the military and he was a marksman, and I also have friends that are still in the military, ex gulf and something that just came up because, like Dave always said, you know, the good debate is to be able to see the person's point of view and try to see if you could understand it and maybe even change it. For yourself, and something that is really what people don't always see is the amount of deaths that happen within training in the military before there's even war, before there's even going into combat and battle. And there is also a lot of PTSD that comes from that as well because they're not fully prepared. I think if you create that possibility, that this modeling and this simulation prototype would allow that. Young cadet, that young officer, to get familiar with what it could be like in real war situations, I would be curious to see the impact on that person's mental health versus the one who didn't get that type of experience and simulation and prototype of that experience. Because part of what happens is these individuals go in to serve in the military because they need to support families. So they're not necessarily going in because they want to, they're going in because they have to, because they know that they may not have any other opportunity. And what ends up happening is, because I have taught yoga in prisons, and I was teaching yoga during 9-11, I did serve as a Red Cross Disaster Recovery Volunteer lead after 9-11. And I do remember how these officers in these, 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 um, the military was and the challenge there is no one could tell you how that person feels unless you've experienced it yourself. And that has created a lot of PTSD in officers and military. And you, you see the suicides going up high. So I'm looking at it from a holistic perspective by saying, is there a positive in here somewhere? Is there somewhere where this could actually help deeper? than what we see on the surface. So I'm listening to you, Tyler, and I'm saying that could be a possibility.
0: So there's a quote here by the individual says, whether or not I'm working directly for the government team, I'm empowering the products they're selling. Meaning even if he's not on the team that's, you know, working with GovTech, he's still helping a company that sells to the Department of Defense. And that's why he now feels conflicted. Do you want your tools to catch bad guys? Maybe we shouldn't be in the business of defining who bad guys are. This guy has a whole lot of ethics and morals attached to where they want to work. That's great. Uh, Unity is not in the least bit shy about the fact that they work with the government. Maybe you should have factored that in before you decided to work there. It's called personal responsibility. It's 2021. I realize this is a new concept for a lot of folks. They, they were not shy. About, they were not hiding the fact that they do this with the government. They're very public about it. If you don't like that, don't go work at the company. Then when you get fired, go talk to journalists about how start leaking information as an unnamed source about the inner workings of the company. Who, who's the jackass here? Unity? The government or this jackass who took a job at a company who is very public about the fact that they work with the Department of Defense publicly. You don't like, not only do you not want to be on that team, no one's going to force you to be on that team. They have tens of thousands of employees on hundreds of other teams that you can work on. But as the guy just said himself, he just fully self-incriminated whether or not I'm working directly on the government team. I'm empowering the products they're selling. Do you want to use your tools to catch bad guys? Maybe we shouldn't be in the business of defining who the bad guys are. mean, The Taliban, for example, the, the military is using this to run. Sim- they've created their own Taliban simulation system or terrorists or ISIS. Let's use ISIS. It's, they, they've made the catch the ISIS uh, simulator for the Department of Defense. And this guy has a problem with that because he doesn't like defining who the bad guys are. Okay, so don't work at that company. They were not hiding this fact from you when you joined there. They didn't force you to work on that team. And you have a problem not even working on that team. You can't work on any product. You can't work on the regular city development products or teams because you can't be part of the same company that sells to the Department of Defense. Okay, then don't work at the company. No one's forcing you to work there. But don't go to a journalist and start leaking internal information as an unnamed source. And saying people are disgruntled or whatever. Yeah, it's, a, it's called, like, they don't call it work for fucking nothing. Out of, out of 10,000 employee teams. Yeah, you're, there's people going to be disgruntled. Find me a, a team of 10,000 employees where there's not disgruntled people. Especially former employees.
7: Tyler, Isn't that
0: what of- this, this, is, this is this is the Snowden's ambulance chasing of journalism. I I'm all for journalism. I come from a family of journalists, Emmy award-winning journalists. I'm all for journalism. Journalism's fantastic and very important, but this whole scenario of disgruntled former tech employees, this is the what in the insurance industry is ambulance chasing. Going after but- disgruntled former employees and getting them to s- talk negatively about big tech companies It's just really uh, click-baity, gutter-scraping journalism.
8: Tyler, do you blame the journalists or do you blame the The the, uh, employees? No, the employees themselves who decided, like, you made all these good points about no one forced them to work for the company. You know, uh, presumably, uh, you know, these are Americans who have trouble, you know, supporting their own government. I would blame the employees, not the journalists for doing their job. But,
0: you know, it it depends how they, you know, what they make the headline uh, in part. So the headline is unity workers question company ethics as it expands from video games to war. OK, that's actually actually that might be a fair headline. I, I don't really have an issue with that headline. I don't really have an issue Tyler, with that. If happening. you've yeah.
4: come from a back, if you've come from a history of journalists, then you know. I think you're hitting the nail on the head, because what's happening is is that there's so much going on with Substack and decentralization, Hacker Moon, and all these places that are really some quality writers, right? You even see you say it yourself on here, and I think now there's people really sort of uh, fishing heavily to get their reviews and to get people to like their article and get people to really share and spread it. What their writing is, and I'm more seeing it from a perspective that, having been interviewed by a couple of magazines, I think you also do know that the journalist is responsible for how they spin the story because that person could have been really someone that was just sharing, like over over a drink, with their that that could be a friend of the the person. So, they could have just been sharing. Then
8: they're supposed to say it's off the record, you know?
4: Yeah, but, you know, that's also where they get cheeky, Ken, because sometimes they don't say it, and then they say I, this I know, juicy. I
3: know, I know, yeah.
0: They so, so Unity has given a response to this article that I am just read, or the bits, the bits of which I just read. Unity's full response to this story, it's incredibly long, actually. It's longer than most articles we read here in Tech News Round. It's like 10 paragraphs long. And i am just pick out a few interesting points. Second paragraph, the use of Unity and real-time 3D in government and aerospace industry, as well as U.S. military, is not new to Unity or its stakeholders, meaning the employees. We've provided simulation and training, AI and machine learning, synthetic environment rendering, and more to these customers for some time. We've had a relationship with the the Inter-Service Industry Training Simulation Education Conference for over a decade. And we have active contracts with the U.S. Air Force and U.S. Army and defense contractors like Lockheed Martin and Boeing confidentiality clauses for these engagements are very restrictive. (laughs) Oh boy, here we go. Uh, Because if that person were to be, um, yeah, you have a confidentiality contract, especially if you're working on the Department of Defense products. Confidentiality clauses for these engagements are very restrictive, similar to many of our partnership deals, including some of the work we do with gaming companies and other verticals such as retail. So while we can't share specific details, we can say that we have, a thorough review process and we have not nor will we support programs where we knowingly violate our principles or values we're proud of our relationships and we've always been upfront about our work most of which involves the adoption of rt3d technologies to improve workflows and manufacturing training simulation and design visualization unity was founded with a strong belief that the world is a better place with more creators in it we believe in the freedom of expression and then it turns into typical pr team member gobbledygook um yeah, you have you signed a confidentiality clause. Um, be, be careful where you work is the lesson here, <laughs> I, I guess. Um, anyway. But Tyler, yes. I have
7: a question for you. So isn't that what uh, Snowden did, the exact same thing? I mean, he knew what was happening, but then he took all those information and started complaining about it. So...
8: No, well, he, he did something totally different, though. You're missing a huge part of what he did. He actually went to his chain of command to report that the stuff that was going on was incorrect and it was wrong and it was against the Constitution. And after doing that several times, nothing was happening. That's why he got his protection, the whistleblower protection clauses that he was rightfully due. and That's why he ended up leaving the country when he did leak all that information. Because he did go to the chain of command to report it, nothing was done.
7: But then this he guy, went this guy
8: and... did not do that with this company. This guy went to a reporter and
7: right. told him how but, upset but he was. But then he also passed it to what uh, WikiLeaks, right? Which WikiLeaks sort of also is losing its own reputation by citing one party after the other. Uh, I'm just trying to see why some of us are doing similar things. Um, yeah, I understand what you are saying. Is it really proved, like, uh, this is a question I'm going to ask you again, but that's what Snowden said has have happened. But is it independently proven that he really did go through the chain and try to get the protection of, you know, whistleblower? Because to me, it's like he went, and then later on, Instead of trying to do and try to correct what
0: I think there's big differences when uh, when you find out your company where your workplace is doing something unconstitutional and illegal, right? That that this is a very different case. What Unity is doing is not at all illegal. Okay, so Edward Snowden, when you realize your your company that you work for is doing something against the Constitution of America. And then the question is, what What do you do about it? Of course, you could quit and then tell the press. He eventually did go to Glenn Greenwald, which is essentially the press. Um, well, Glenn really was the press at the time of that. Right. And right. before he even left, as I believe it was Jason, I didn't see who was speaking, sound like jason made the point that he did try to raise the issue internally and realized ah my my bosses are in on this they, they they understand this is wrong and uh they're they're participating as a willing actor in this wrongdoing according to him it's an ethical debate of course but nonetheless he felt you know what i can't participate in this so i'm leaving and told the journalist but to me the bigger issue is is we can't really draw a direct comparison because what there's absolutely nothing... And by the way, there's there's two really notable differences between the Snowden example and this uh, Unity gaming example. In the Snowden example, it's arg- arg- not really that arguably illegal what they were doing. It's now essentially determined that what they're doing was unconstitutional. <laughs> and more importantly, um, he didn't know they were doing that when he signed up. In the case of Unity, the person who joined Unity almost certainly knew they were working with uh, the government and the military before they signed up. Okay. And what they were doing wasn't illegal and didn't change. Nothing changed from the time they started and the time they left. In Snowden's case, from the time he started and the time he left, oh boy, things were tremendously different. He realized the team he was working with was doing unconstitutional stuff and they were... Not interested in stopping it, and that that to me is substantially creates kind of substantially different kind of moral uh, framework for for the two different cases. Um, there's similarities, and the similarities are employees found themselves in a situation they're uncomfortable with. In the gaming example, they willingly went into that situation un uninformed, uh, uh, un not not they Snowden didn't have the opportunity he was caught off guard the unity employee should not have been as as unity says in their response we've been doing this for a decade all of our employees know it so don't join a company that works with the military if you don't like working at a company that works with the military I don't anyway so um there there is comparisons to be made but there's distinctions to be made as well, I think. So the next article is from Bloomberg. A company called ForgeRock, which makes identity management software, has filed for an IPO raising $100 million. What is identity management software? Well, I guess we will find out. The next is from Fast Company, a profile of Invisible Universe, which is developing animated franchises using characters born on social media with the help of influencers like Serena Williams. Developing animated franchises of characters born on social media with the help of influencers that sounds quite interesting called invisible universe this startup is building the pixar of the internet of tiktok uh it's so easy to forget how new all this is we're just beginning this sounds really interesting what is this 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 oh the headline from fast company says this startup is building the pixar of the internet One TikTok at a time, Invisible Universe believes that animated characters, uh, essentially, can be born on social media with the help of Serena Williams and Jennifer Aniston. And it shows, yeah, they're making digital um, little celebrities so that you can create these cute little digital celebrities in TikTok and other platforms. So that's definitely coming. Apple and Google are calling on the White House to oppose South Korean bill set to face vote this week that would mandate multiple payment systems for IAPs. A proposal in the South Korean legislature is an early test of how forceful the Biden administration will defend the companies abroad while trying to trim their power at home. Okay. And the next one is... The SEC has started asking Chinese firms planning to list on the New York Stock Exchange for greater disclosures, including risks for investors if Chinese authorities interfere. And Shelf.io, which helps companies organize info to quickly find answers and respond to customers, raises $52 million from Tiger Global. Apple confirms it has been scanning your iCloud mail for child abuse images since 2019. So why are you worried that we're going to scan your uh, other iCloud files? We've already been scanning your mail for, you know, two or three years now. What's the big brouhaha all about? Gotcha. (laughs) That's quite a funny revelation. Um, YouTube says its partner program has 2 million creators and a number of new channels joining the program uh, in 2020 has doubled 100% in the past year. And channels making over $100,000 grew 35%. And, okay, now we get to go into the fun headlines, the more interesting headlines. Um, I've, all the ones that we just read were, yeah, what what are the main big headlines that, you know, regular people are now figuring out and learning and stuff that we learned many months ago. And now we're going to re- go into the interesting headlines that we're discussing now uh, as geeks from around the world. And I've cherry picked out all my favorite tweets From the past, um, yeah, since we met last time, 14 hours or so ago, you can click on the title of the room to see the uh, schedule uh, where we meet twice a day. And so in no particular order, but before I jump into them, does anyone on stage have a hot one they want to share or anyone in the audience with a hot one they want to share? I see Jeff and Shane want to have their hand up. So welcoming them back, and maybe Professor Asa for others. If you have a headline you want to share, jump up on stage. Let us know, you know, from your part of the world, professionally or geographically, something that you've seen that you think you want to share with the rest of the class. Feel free. You can all, if you're one of the shy types, you can share it via Twitter. Just tweet it from your Twitter account. Include our Twitter account, tnatw. Then we'll see it, and then we'll share it here inside of Tech News Around the World with the rest of the class, which a lot of people do. And here's a whole bunch of of uh, precisely that and as i read these i'm sharing them back out to the twitter account and if you you can see them as well so the next 50 headlines we run through are the interesting ones that we as the people on stage and in the audience have found and now i'm t- retweeting all of them on twitter so if you tweeted one i will and i liked it i will now retweet it like this one from faraz from bloomberg that youtube now boasting 30 billion dollars in payments as creator war heats up And uh, a team of mad scientists successfully 3D printed out a living, viable glioblastoma tumor. So they've 3D printed a tumor, the deadliest kind of brain cancer, uh, glioblastoma, for the express purpose of learning how to kill it. So I imagine some of those team members on that team got to leave now because they don't like the idea of killing tumors. You know, it's just they have some ethical issue about this. And they were surprised that they were 3D printing tumors. And
8: And Tyler, that's really a big deal uh, because I know something about that particular. That tumor is usually almost untreatable. So if they can figure out how to do something, that would be amazing.
0: So scientists managed to 3D print a viable... Glioblastoma tumors, so they can develop better, more effective treatments for the deadly brain cancer. But who are we to say that that these are the bad guys? I need an ethics degree to figure out if these are yeah. the bad guys. Senator Ted
8: Kennedy dev- uh, died from that, and I think they just they just couldn't help him because it's very difficult usually to to treat or reach. But one, no no or, doubt these scientists
0: or, are going to have contracts with you know government agencies now, and you know. I don't know if I can work on this team anymore. So uh, thank you for that one, Poppy. The next one is from Evan via Reuters. It says, China regulators say that live streaming sales stars. Yes, China has live streaming sales stars. Lots of them. Some of them making nearly a billion dollars a year. Yes, you heard me correctly. China has live streaming sales stars making... Hundreds of millions of dollars per year selling shit on live streams. Yes, you heard this correctly. Correct. Yes, you heard me. And you you hear that sound? Did you hear a cash register? That's the sound of those people making money right now as we sit here. They're making hundreds of millions of dollars live streaming in China. And it's coming to America as we speak. But the headline says China regulator says live streaming sales stars should speak Mandarin and dress well. Because you're representing our government and and China. So we want you to dress nicely and you must speak Mandarin. But the reason you got to speak Mandarin is because they are monitoring what you're saying in real time. And they're worried you might say something they don't like that could hurt your leader's feelings. And we know this because if you want to be a live streamer on any app in China, like Douyin, like Pinduoduo, you must register your face if you want to live stream. This is a requirement of all live streaming apps in China. Any users must register their face with their state IDs. Because when you're speaking on the live stream, we instantly check to see who you are. We know who you are. Okay, live stream's going. If you say something we don't like, your live stream magically ends. And interestingly, if somebody enters your live stream and their face isn't registered, your live stream magically turns off. Because, Kyle, aren't they mostly selling the stuff in China though?
8: Yes. So what, why, why wouldn't they be using Mandarin? Maybe they'd be using Cantonese, but they certainly probably wouldn't be using English if you're trying to sell stuff in
0: China, No, right? they do all the time because the Burmese who come into Clubhouse speak in English so that the Chinese have a harder time understanding what they're saying. Oh, okay. Indians okay. who come in here, you know, intentionally... Oh, oh
8: so that's what I'm saying. They're, sell, they're selling They're selling things to non-Chinese. I didn't Well, they Well, no, right. they're
0: using I... the platform to express views. They don't have... Platforms where they can where they can express their real views, and they go on there and they speak in some language where hopefully isn't being tracked by the algorithms. This happens on throughout the internet all the time. I mean, you even have pedophiles going around using secret code words in chat rooms, you know, that represent you know, uh, so that they don't get themselves and you know, they're not going to ask for they're not going to speak in plain English either. This is not a Chinese specific issue. This is people being clever about how to avoid controls of the internet
8: oh i thought they were just trying to move product the way you said they're making hundreds of millions of dollars yeah, so yeah. it's like so okay yeah
0: no but china's you know, so saying just... if you want to be on these platforms you must speak mandarin
1: I, I i just checked the data but they only have the data for 2018 there is about 48 million foreigners in china
3: and then tyler for for china it's of it's of um uh, importance for them to kind of kill the Cantonese language, you know, for their uh, for for their their initiatives. They they really want to unite under Mandarin, you know,
0: or. or... The Uyghur language, because uh, uh, are the Uyghurs even allowed to be on the live streaming platforms, by the way?
8: I, I don't know if they're trying to kill Cantonese. I mean, obviously, Mandarin style. I
3: mean, the, m- most of the people in Guangdong speak, speak Cantonese. And, yeah. 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 I, I know, Ken, I just have a, you know, like, I have a little bit of personal connection here. And I could tell you they're trying to kill the language because it's not something they can follow. Like, it's, Cantonese is such a different dialect that they can't follow it. It's not, like, they... The way they speak is completely different. Like I, we teach Cantonese to my children here.
8: No, no, no I, 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 I know that, but I, I mean, I, I would think that like they would. You don't see the the harsh. Oh, I'm saying the kind of the harsh things they're doing to the Uyghurs in terms of like trying to stamp it out of uh, Wandong. and it's still pretty well used in Macau. So it's it's you know it's still there, you know. But it's it's, it's but it's it's declining. There's no question, you know.
0: But be, It's a little interesting. interesting point of like a government saying what language you should use on a platform. <clears throat> why would they care?
1: It's too controlling. <sighs> How to leave there?
0: Yeah, the, the simple question is why do they care? And, the, and it's a rather simple answer.
1: They and, want real-time surveillance.
0: So, but Chris brings up an interesting point about it does hurt Uyghurs who aren't so great at Mandarin, for example. Now they can't sell stuff uh, from their farms or, you know, whatever. So there's always uh, unintended consequences or perhaps, perhaps intended. We don't know. So the next one is... Well, just real
7: quick, Tyler. I would just add that language is power. And so, um, you know, yes, it could, you know, be a way to detract from the minority voices within China, but also... Um, most apps have english as their you know primary language so by trying to enforce a language policy on their platform it's a power move beyond just the internal dynamics of what's happening within the country
0: okay so the next interesting one is from Evan from the Atlantic and the Atlantic's quite a good publication honestly very long form they write great long articles. Here's one from Nicholas Carr, who, who's who been covering tech for more than a minute. And it says, is Google making us stupid? What the internet is doing to our brains. And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, and it, it tells us a very long narrative style article as they are known to do, uh, but usually very much worth a read. And um, as we as we use what sociologist Daniel Bell has called our intellectual technologies, tools that extend our mental rather than our physical capabilities, we inevitably begin to take on the qualities of those technologies, excuse me, the mechanical clock, which came into common use in the 14th century provides a compelling example. In Techniques and Civilization, the historian and cultural critic Lewis Mumford described how the clock disassociated time from human events and helped create the belief in an independent world of mathematically measurable sequences, the abstract framework of divided time became the point of reference for both action and thought. The clock's methodical ticking helped bring into being the scientific mind and scientific man. But if you took a, if you took something away, but it also took something away, as the late MIT computer scientist Joseph Weizenbaum observed in his 1976 book *Computer Power and the Human Reason*. The conception of the world that emerged from the widespread use of timekeeping instruments remains an impoverished version of an older one for it rests on the rejection of those direct experiences that formed the the basis for and indeed constituted the old reality. In deciding when to eat, to work, to sleep, to rise, we stopped listening to our senses and started obeying the clock. Interesting point. And how were we adjusting to... Uh go the uh, world with Google how has that changed everything well we don't bother to memorize anything anymore there's no need to and becoming less and less and less of a reason to or to do simple math or to do uh you know we can delegate so much of our thinking and responsibility and we can go work at a company and um you know Tyler yes
4: there's always the one favorite one is remember when we used to be able to read maps to get around?
0: Well I, I'm, I'm 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 half I'm, I'm half suspicious that the the person who's working at the Unity platform on the you know is gonna say why didn't Google <laughs> warn me that they were doing this? I should have got a pop up. I should've got a pop up but the first time I walked into the building that says this this building you're entering does things that go against your ethics. Google, where were you? You left me hanging high and dry, Google.
4: But this is it, Tyler. It's a bit like cherry picking. Like In some ways, I think people cherry pick. Like, you know, they want privacy, but yet they're using Google Chrome and they're using all these devices that track them anyway. So at the end of the day, I'm like, wait a second. Let's be realistic here. Is it just, that's why I use the phrase cherry picking, because it, when it's something that they get, in their mind that they want to do, they'll go after it, but they don't necessarily live that by example. And one of the things you were describing about how we're, how we're reliant on a lot of these elements, we're also going back to like how sleep is something super deprived in a lot of people in the United States as well, right? Growing up and waking up with circadian rhythms and knowing your circadian rhythm of when to wake up, when to go to sleep, super was important. And it's why I think the Scandinavian region I'm so attracted to, because I still believe the Scandinavians still have this essence in the way they live. And I, I really enjoy that because it it makes you leave your device and start to really count on your surroundings, and that is something that I think a lot of people have forgotten. That sort of maybe it's maybe that survival instinct or that common sense thread. I don't know what it is exactly. Maybe it is cognitive thinking. I don't know.
0: Okay, so the next big uh, more interesting headlines from Cami. Sent this one in about a AI driven deep genomics company gets $180 million to turn biology into informational medicines. That's fantastic. And so it's led by Softbank, and that's itself quite interesting. This is yet another genomics company that SoftBank is investing in. <clears throat> keep an keep an eye out on that one. that Softbank clearly is going big into genomics. That's going to be one of the most interesting spaces in our lifetimes by far because as we've spent the past 20, 30 years writing code uh, for computer apps, we're now going to be writing genetic code for physical objects. That's what's coming. You're going to do Jurassic Park is on our doorstep. and, and, And it's not just dinosaurs. It's anything your brain can imagine that you can create in the physical world through code, genetic code, trees run on genetic code. All living things run on genetic code. And you can now code anything that will happen. But so Tyler, yes. can I ask you a question? Yeah. So
9: let's assume you make a, a robot which can has empathy, sympathy, all, all the human characteristics. You mean a flesh-based robot or a, or a
0: mechanical robot?
9: mechanical robot okay uh, uh Uh. but then does it have a soul no why it has everything that a human have then why doesn't he have a soul or does that does is there such a thing as soul then
0: uh, yeah i do do humans have a soul
9: that that's yeah, a, yes. that's my
2: point
0: why So the, the real question is, why build a mechanical robot when we can build flesh ones?
10: I think oh, the oh. question is, how can you yeah, tell?
9: No, uh, that's not the question. The question is, if we can build something that is resembles us, and yet we say that we have a soul, that's what makes us different. Well, Do if, we if really you, have a
0: soul? If you want a robot with a soul, make a make a flesh-based robot. Make a biological robot, not a mechanical robot.
6: It's
0: a question or it's a catch-22 question. Yeah. The real question is what about the hybrids of mechanical and biological creations? Because up until now, we've been making mechanical objects. We're just now starting to make biological objects. The question is, will we be able to do hybrid mechanical biological objects? So it'll be the, the best of both. You'll have the best of the biological and the best of the mechanical And we're starting to do it from both ends you're starting to put replacement hips in elderly people uh, so they now have mechanical hips that don't break when they fall down and you're starting to add you know brain computer interfaces to humans and then you're also starting to grow uh, these tumors in labs that are biological and let's see how much of a hybrid of the two because that's uh, likely to be the optimum scenario for a lot of different things So, uh, but SoftBank is going to be, is currently seems to be the largest investor in that space. And that's not at all a surprise if you know Masayoshi son from SoftBank because he has what he calls a 300 year vision. So, Heyman sends in this one from Toronto prepares for self driving future with new high definition 3D map. The technology provided by Ecopia AI could improve the movement and safety of Toronto's autonomous vehicles. Exactly. Got to make the roads safer for the vehicles. The next one is from Renjent, who sends in a breakdown of, this is quite remarkable, in the past week, the uh, two different bike companies in India both launched electric scooters. Which are these scooters are the most used transportation vehicles on the planet by a very wide margin, <clears throat> China and India and all of Asia use predominantly scooters for getting around more than cars and While we had the e v revolution over the past you know ten years and uh, especially in the past two years, here comes in the same week multiple e v scooters based out of India and Honda. Uh, announced one recently as well. There's been a few stragglers, but now it's officially if the race has officially just kicked off. And if you look at the tweet I just tweeted on Twitter from Regent, he beautifully outlines the 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 core differences between the four top selling new bikes, the Ola, which just launched last week with got a hundred thousand pre-orders, the Ather, which just launched last week, which got thirty thousand pre-orders the Bajaj and the TVS. And it compares the the size of the motors in terms of kilowatts, the amount of torque and the amount of range and the top speed and the speed from zero to 40 kilometers per second and the prices. And the prices are all nearly identical. Not surprisingly, although the top speed, the top speeds are also quite similar. The main difference is the torque where the Ola really comes out far ahead. And that's what you need if you, if you actually live anywhere that isn't perfectly flat. You're going to need the better torque so, and a much better uh, long range. But I just thank you for this, range. That's actually incredibly helpful in figuring out which bike to get. So the next one. Tyler, yes. uh, Ola, I think Ola, Ola also just announced their, their, their car, electronic vehicle, full, full automobile for they, 2023. Yes, they announced they have the aspirations to do that. So uh, so I'm a big believer in, obviously, there's, there are scooters and mopeds all over the world that dwarf uh, uh, cars in many cities. So yes. I'm a big believer in yes. Ola yeah, and, me too. Uh, one to watch, certainly with your theme of banning international competition exactly. in the countries. What an interesting coincidence that they announced this just as Tesla is hoping that India will lower their import taxes, and they're not. And uh, and Ola's being made domestically with domestic technology and talent. And, uh, you know, now they've got their own electric car company there. So we don't need you, Tesla. Thank you anyways. Oh, but maybe you could. Or we could do the Chinese game and invite you to come build a factory. And then as soon as it's done, um, we could then ask you to leave. Make life very difficult for you, which as it is, Tesla is now experiencing. What an What an amazing turn of events that's been. Johan.
9: Yeah. Hi. Good morning. Sorry for the late arrival. I I was just chiming in on on this with with the scooters Uh, today in the major Swedish newspaper, you know, that particularly strange country in the northern hemisphere. The thing is here that today in both the newspapers for Stockholm and Gothenburg, they had an, uh, articles running about this with the lend cycles. We have had three cycles, or so you can rent them for a very small amount of money, in Gothenburg, Stockholm, Malmö, I think Norwich as well. But the thing is here that over the last two years, they have seen a declining trend, and they are now pondering about how they can make it more um, viable for people to use bicycles instead of seeing that the big picture is that people is renting electrical scooters instead of manual driven bicycles. So the thing is here that they are tone deaf, to to use a Swedish term, uh, they don't see that people are not using the cycles because they have found a better means of transportation. You are done.
0: So are you referring to who? With the
9: uh, but both the uh, dagens nyheter DN as well as the GP, which is Gothenburg's local mm-hmm. post, they are both driving today that they see a decline in the lending cycle uh, affair because they actually charge you a small amount of money, and they don't. They totally miss that the reason that they are declining is through the electrical scooters that we have in a plenty flora of the de- deliverers yeah. in 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 the major city.
0: Yeah. So, thanks for that. The the next one here is about I'm just tweeting this out now from Harvard, um, a 3D printed eardrum developed by researchers at Harvard at the Weiss Institute uh, is to be commercialized by Desktop Health following the acquisition of Harvard startup Beacon Bio this summer. So, a 3D printed eardrum. So, here we go again with the um creating I the question is, is this mechanical or, or or biological? I don't know. Could be either. Could be both. Is this a 3D printed mechanical eardrum or is it a 3D printed biological eardrum? I'm not sure. Um but that's kind of back to the point. They of, are grow yeah.
9: Yeah, you know there are three small bones inside of the eardrum as well. And these have been grown in laboratories in Sweden for the last five, six years, and implemented, especially in kids.
0: You want- I think the, the key word is graft, which means biological. 3D printed graft it's, developed. It's, the company says... It's,
3: probably, bio. A, it's probably a bioprinter, Tyler. They, yeah. um There's a company called Desktop Metal that does a... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Envision Tech, that does a, uh, a tissue printer. Um, I know the CEO. So,
0: yep. so next one's from JT... He, Uh, Oculus Quest version 32 will improve media sharing. Easily sync screenshots and screen recordings to your phone now. That's nice. And the next one's from Poppy, a company called Unheard. A London-based AI-powered digital platform secures 250 million pounds to help independent music artists and record labels. And so we got to ask Gareth if he's in the audience. Uh, what he might know or maybe Sarah might know about unheard. Uh, Gareth happens to be in the UK and happens to be a music tech geek for working at the in the working for the labels, but so Sarah. But anyway, it's London-based AI-powered digital platform to help independent music artists and record labels. The next one is Uh, from Poppy from the UK, a company called Image Holders launches a gesture-controlled touchless kiosk. And do you know why you need a touchless kiosk? I do. Because McDonald's and fast food restaurants are going to replace cashiers with kiosks to touch screens to order your food. They already have in Scandinavia. All the McDonald's in Scandinavia are all Kiosks when you order the food. The problem is you touch the screen and then you eat your french fries and then you get, you know, gangrene and, uh, you know, black death. And so you need a touchless kiosk when you go to the fast food restaurants in the near future because you better believe these are all coming very quickly. And the touchless self service solution avoid hand to kiosk contact and eliminate any hygiene concerns is the first sentence in the article. It says it all right there. According to a survey by Ultraleap, 80% of customers think public touchscreens are unhygienic amidst the pandemic crisis. Eventually, many companies now turning to no-touch tech and contactless devices. In this situation, the company is on a mission to be at the forefront of self-service kiosk technology. And the question is, do you do it with a camera on the top of the screen? Or, you, or I saw a demonstration at my event of a startup that pitched a way to put microscopic speakers under the touchscreen that send an audio undetectable audio signal through the screen. Not only is it touchless, but it's haptic. You can feel the screen, even though you don't touch it, through the microscopic speakers under the screen. And it works. And it's truly wild. The one that I'm just tweeting out right now is based on a camera, so there's no haptic feedback when you click on The objects on the screen. So I imagine eventually they might lose to the haptic feedback audio systems. So the next one is Oxford-based Ultramix secures 23.7 million pounds to help doctors diagnose cardiovascular disease through AI. Let me guess. Image recognition, machine learning. Let's see. As the article opens... It says, diagnostic measurements are constantly evolving, particularly in cardiology, meet Altromics, an Oxford-based startup that aims to help clinic clinicians to make fast, accurate decisions when using ultrasound images to diagnose cardiovascular disease. Exactly. The AIs can do far better um, pattern recognition of any images, ultrasound images particularly, and we've seen this in many other use cases of AIs can detect things in images that even professionals who are trained to do so are no match for AIs at uh, noticing fine details in images. So that makes all the sense in the world. The next one is also from Poppy researchers at the Baltimore based biotech company called Delphi Diagnostics. Have developed a machine learning-based blood testing technology that could greatly help detect early stages of lung cancer. Well, let me guess: image recognition of some kind of scan. I'm gonna guess some kind of
3: microfluidic assay.
0: They already been 70, blah, 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 blah. evidence would underpin <laughs> the blood. It's a blood test is also much easier to administer when compared to low-dose CT scans allowing more individuals to be screened in a shorter period of time. Employing the power of AI to hunt for tumor cells makes perfect sense. So it is essentially an image. You take a blood test, and then the, they look on the microscopic level of the blood test, and they can see the um, see if there's uh, uh, anomalies in the blood samples on an image basis. Anyway, uh, Sarah, Sarah, you unmuted your mic, Sarah.
9: Was probably by mistake. It sounded like there were kids around.
0: Yeah. So it says researchers have developed a machine learning-based blood testing technology that's roughly 90% accurate at uh, at uh, detecting early stages of lung cancer. That's fantastic. So the next one is a new diabetes treatment involves a robot docked inside of your body. An experimental new medical robot sits inside of your gut and extracts medicines from a magnetic capsules, like a docking station getting supplies. And you swallow these capsules of insulin. They get held in this little device that knows how, when to release them. So you don't have to give yourself insulin injections. You can swallow tablets. They get held in your gut and released when needed. And if you combine that with a blood glucose real-time skin patch, then, uh, yeah, your body knows when your glucose is too high or or, or too low and your blood sugar is out of whack and then it releases the insulin and now you don't need to do blood tests and insulin shots. And now you're, uh, you got both angles covered. Quite interesting. Now check this out. Do you
3: think this is gonna? Go, do you think this is gonna
0: go over well given uh, the
3: deployment of masks and other other medical technology during the pandemic?
0: Phew. So Rengin's found something truly interesting on LinkedIn, and kudos to Rengin for finding this one. <clears throat> he found uh, uh, a a job listing that Spotify is hiring for a really interesting position, a engineer for commerce platform as a back-end engineer in the freemium business unit, You'll have the opportunity to have significant impact on Spotify's growth by reaching new users, markets and audiences. We achieve this by truly understanding the needs of our users and by innovating to solve real problems for them, building solutions across the entire Spotify infrastructure to support our goal. Your work with this team will ultimately impact the way the world works. Our team is, Our team's focus is to enable users to purchase any product Spotify has to offer by building a state-of-the-art commerce platform. We're investing heavily into this product area as we look to reimagine the distributed services we need in order to best serve our Spotify's current and future commerce goals as we look to diversify and evolve our products further through commerce.
11: Tyler, yes. yeah. Can I jump in?
0: Yes. So-
11: there was actually two headlines about how actually all these things is changing. There was this one from the UK Tech News. Mm-hmm. It's actually recently a former Universal Music Senior Analyst has secured 250K pounds of investment to launch... Unheard, this is really weird to pronounce, sorry, I hope I did it properly. For independent artists and record labels to help them break into the industry and grow. Yes. After generating 25 million Spotify streams for independent artists in just one year, Unheard said the new app will help more artists and labels find where their fans are, who they interact with, and which playlist they should be pitching to. The company's algorithm take an artist's data and then turn it into targeted and practical marketing tips to create impactful campaigns across the social media and streaming landscape. So I really think this is a big thing for the next uh, years, for musicians. Yeah. And there's, a, sorry?
0: Yeah, the, they, they raised a bunch of money, yeah.
11: Yeah, and there's another one from uh, Business Insider, Australia, about Linktree, saying that Linktree knows it can't be the LinkedIn Bio platform forever. And here's what it plans to do next, so I will not read the whole article, but a part of it. Um, Jess Box, head of growth at Linktree, thinks the company's explosive expansion will not only continue, but that it's had the potential to be the next house export to reach unicorn status. And the interesting part is this one. So the platforms commerce links, which are powered by PayPal and Square enable Linktree users to set up request links, giving followers options to request goods and services directly from their profiles as well as a tip jar where fans can offer financial support for a creator's work. Box said they are particularly focused on the musical music, sorry, music vertical, where the company sees an opportunity to speak to the vast sea of musicians rocked by the changing economics of the music industry, as well as supporting those without major record labels to become independent businesses. Further to this end, Linktree last week announced it is acquiring Songlink Odyssey, a content matching technology platform for streaming music. Anthony Zakaria, co-founder and chief creative officer of Linktree, said the acquisition is yet another milestone for the company. We now one step closer to become a one-stop shop for musicians offering an integrated solution for the three K pillar of music monetization, touring, merchandising, and streaming. I think it's really connected for what we talked about for the past few months about how social media changing actually.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. So (laughs) the. Poppy sends this one in how robots will revolutionize e-commerce by automating last mile delivery. Alibaba Group is deploying a fleet of robots to solve e-commerce last mile conundrum in China, creating a fast and reliable way to fill demand. And you can now see this little quarter sized car. It looks like a super miniature van It's about nipple high on a on a on an adult <clears throat> and it's a it's a little robotic truck or van cargo van a quarter sized car cargo van and you have to see i've never seen this particular uh vehicle before autonomous robotic vehicle although uh I, we've seen variations of this but uh, ostensibly this vehicle can drive very close to wherever the end goal is because it's quite small. And then it can, you put in the code or it has facial recognition and then it unlocks and you take out your package or your delivery, whatever it is. But you have to see this at the tech news, Twitter account. Uh, I just tweeted it from Poppy. How robots will revolutionize e-commerce by autom- automating the last mile or just automating the delivery. And they're not only just automating the last mile, They're automating the whole process, soup to nuts. Wherever the product gets made, which is pretty much automated, will then get put into trucks, which will be automated, which will be sent to a distribution center, which will be automated, which will then put it into these little vehicles and send it to your door. Eventually, the whole process will be automated. That's the whole point. Humans suck. That's the point. That's all you need to know. Robots are going to be far better Uh, for the companies, they want to replace all the humans. There it is. That's all you needed to know. If you're not noticing how this picture is developing, it's a very slowly developing Polaroid photo. It's taking a couple decades to develop. But we're now starting to realize, ah, the whole enchilada is going to be automated.
3: Right. All we're there for is to to eat the Doritos. We don't even need to know how to open the bag anymore, Tyler.
0: Can you put it in my goddamn mouth? Because it's really quite burdensome to put my hand in the bag. Quite unsanitary as well. If you could just please build a little something to automate the process of putting the chip in my mouth, now we're talking.
3: And then don't forget about the nano robot to cure the diabetes.
0: <laughs> Imagine a robot riding the elevator up to your tower block. Because the size of this thing could fit into an elevator, basically. And and now I realize that's quite genius. They intentionally designed the thing to be basically take up an elevator. And it can roll right up into an elevator, knocking on your door and delivering you the package you ordered an hour earlier. Hour earlier? Fuck that. 20 minutes. Come on. That's the future of e-commerce in China. Tencent Alibaba Group sees a fleet of robots as a fast, reliable, relatively cheap way to fulfill the burgeoning demand for online shopping across China. And they've deployed 1,000 delivery bots across Chinese university campuses and urban communities this year. The bots, called Xiao Man, Man something, meaning small donkey, in Mandarin, can deliver about 50 packages at a time and has as many as 500 boxes in one day, covering 100 kilometers in a single charge. The bot picks up parcels at a local courier drop-off point and make their way to your building trundling along sidewalks and in bicycle lanes if it's in a bike lane. Brilliant. To be sure, they can't navigate a flight of stairs yet, but the technology is steadily improving in the future. The bots could gradually replace forklifts in factories, dispose of medical waste in hospitals, and even move luggage around airports. The idea is that these bots will learn how to navigate obstacles safely and blah, 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 blah. In three to five years, we hope to make progress in autonomous driving in faster speed scenario and make deliveries over longer distances. So there you go. And when you, there's actually a video of them if you click inside of the article I just shared on the Twitter account. It says the robots can predict the intended movement of passengers and vehicles up to five to 10 seconds in the future and safely avoid collisions. It's in test runs, 99.9999% of the time, the Xiao Man Live auto driving algorithm manages without human intervention. For industry experts this is known on the scale of level zero to five as level four meaning high degree of automation level four automation
10: tyler i have a couple of questions yes. if i may if if everything is going to be automated which i believe will be eventually and i think robots will be better at everything then a why is china worried about demographic population Shrinkage, maybe mm-hmm. they should welcome it. And then, B, if everybody's going to get replaced, who's going to pay for anything? Nobody's going to be ordering anything for these automated robots to deliver.
0: Say maybe the second. The... Say the second one again, please.
10: Well, if everybody's going to get replaced, nobody's going to have a job to make any money. So yeah, that's the universal basic
0: it? income, exactly. Yeah. So well, what, the, the, and where is that going to come from? Well, the, the big com uh, the big companies are already saying we, we're going to need this. So you will get a, a check in your cryptocurrency wallet uh, payment every month to buy more stuff from the companies that you buy the stuff from. Like so
3: it's, it's an
1: internal
3: weird. ecosystem. It's, sustainable. it's a reverse <laughs> it's natural selection. Circular economy. The more successful, li- the more successful <laughs> right. you are in life, the more you have to pay to prevent the less successful from killing you.
1: But, Shaheen, I I think this board is probably useful for places with aging population where they cannot find people to work at those jobs, you know, to to be delivery men.
10: So it really depends
1: on which geographical location you are.
10: But my point is that maybe shrinkage of population is not a problem. And they're kind of behaving like it is.
0: That's the Japanese approach. Just replace them with robots. Japan's already realized they're not going to fix the population problem
3: <laughs> right. Shaheen's
0: kind of going down I think I, I, I'm,
3: I'm kind of aligned with you Shaheen as terrible as it sounds it's just we're at this confluence where we're going to have too many humans robots taking over their jobs and then a big problem because there's too many humans that don't have jobs so, right. it's, so we have it to really...
10: rethink what it means to be human
3: yeah, I mean, and, then, and so it and, really and we sucks. And have to stop
10: right? competing with robots because it's useless.
3: Yeah.
1: Tyler, yes. I just took a look at the uh, Chinese name for that. It's actually called Xiaomandi. So basically, it's still a, a autonomous vehicle. Yep. So I think that the, 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 the one to close the gap, right, is between that vehicle to the door's to the door of the uh, the consumer because yep. like not everybody live in ho- landed houses right like for right. example in Japan majority of the, especially central Tokyo they live in Mangsheng, right right so it is more the, the 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 link between that autonomous vehicle and to to bring that product up to the doorstep of the consumer so mm-hmm. that's the part that I think yeah we need a probably a humanoid board to complete that Tomoko right
0: <laughs> no because you could have a
1: 100- you're
0: right. Yeah. Yes. You would need a
1: right.
0: you need a secondary child robot to pop out of the mother robot with your package. Yeah.
7: To do the last yes. meter.
0: Yes. Exactly. Oh, trust me. I'm I'm sure there's labs all over Japan and China working on this as we speak. And Amazon. So the the top 5 military contractors, this is a headline coming out right now. The top five military contractors ate $2 trillion during the Afga- in Afghanistan. And they break it down by, there's a chart as well from the article I just tweeted, and it shows from 2002 to 2021, Lockheed, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Boeing, and Northrop Grumman. yep, those are the top five military contractors, and they received $2 trillion in public funds between October 2001 and August 2021. And now you know where the money went. And you can see how much they made each month. No, each quarter. No, each year. In the chart, in the article I just tweeted. <clears throat> and it started out, they were collectively making about $50 billion, uh in, in the start in 20, 2002, 2001. And then last year, in 2020, they made over about $170 billion. And when you add up all of those 20 years together, you get $2 trillion for these five companies. Ouch.
3: It's like um, I, I did a little bit of the back of the envelope. It's like $0.80 cents from every man, woman, and child in the United States for the last 20 years. Each year? Every every day every every day I think
0: oh every day you
3: said three hundred million a day right so
0: yeah so it's a dollar a day per person yeah we we everyone spent was spending a dollar a day the last twenty years to support it anyway or that's three hundred dollars a year per person so the next uh article is GM says it will seek reimbursement from LG Chem for the <laughs> Oh goodness. So GM General Motors needed to make electric cars because this guy there's this guy named Elon Musk who's making electric cars and he realized the whole secret to this is the batteries and he's focused on the batteries and making the platform. And then whatever car you want to slap on top of that batteries. He really cares not. You can make a little race car. You can make a truck. You can make a semi truck. You can make a van coming soon. You, all of it. Right? The key is the the platform under the car. The battery pack. And you know that's built into the, the frame. Kind of the wheels. And other car companies. Uh, don't think that way at all. So. They are combustion engine teams. These car companies globally are all about the combustion engines. And so when General Motors made the Chevy Bolt, they didn't make the battery packs themselves. They used a company LG out of out of Korea. And so they kind of delegated that expertise out because that is not their expertise making battery car companies know. Fucking zero about batteries, like literally zero. Like the people we on this stage know more about making batteries than GM does, and they del- that's why they delegated it out. In fact, they don't want to know anything about batteries because it's an it's a threat to the combustion engine team. The combustion engine teams want nothing to do with batteries. It's a threat to them. It's a replacement to them. They don't want it. So, the American automaker General Motors. Uh, was using LG's batteries, and the cars started exploding. And so they had to recall all of their cars. We had an update recently last week that they had to, now they've recalled all of the Chevy Bolts. So now the headline reads, GM says it will seek reimbursement from LG for $1 billion of Chevy Volt recall losses. So they want their money back because your batteries were exploding in our cars. And I'm pretty sure they have a contract that says we are not responsible uh, for your cars if your cars blow up. But uh, we will find out. So the article says GM expanded its recall of the Chevy Bolt electronic vehicles on Friday due to fire risks from battery manufacturing defects. The automaker said it would seek reimbursement from LG, its battery cell manufacturing partner, for what it expects to be $1 billion worth of losses following the news of the recall. The third one GM has issued for this vehicle, LG shares fell by 11% on Monday and its stock price lost $6 billion in market value. This isn't the first time LG batteries have resulted in a recall from automakers. Earlier this year, Hyundai recalled 82,000 EVs due to a similar battery pack fire risk at an estimated cost of about a billion dollars. Hyundai's joint battery venture with LG, the specific battery unit of LG, which uh, is preparing for its IPO in September. Oh, ouch, but experts say the IPO could be delayed due to, it could be delayed. Uh, yeah, I'm no expert and I'm telling you, uh, you, I, I, let me make that official. That IPO ain't going to happen. You don't need a fucking expert to put those two dots together. GM's investigation into the problems with its batteries found battery cell defects like a torn anode tab and folded separators, The recall comes a week after a fire involving a Volkswagen. Earlier this year, Volkswagen as well as Tesla began making moves to shift from LG's brand of pouch type lithium ion battery cells towards the more prismatic type cells like those by the CATL and Samsung SDI. Ouch, 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 ouch. ouch. And Tesla's laughing all the way to the bank. So, um, you got to own your own battery technology for the most part. The And Tyler, yeah.
3: um, I, I did a pro- prototype work on those battery cells like in 2008, 2009. And when I first saw it, I was like, why are these guys making, um, you know, battery cages for these, you know, e-cigarette batteries? I couldn't understand it. And, you know, now as time has gone on, it makes more and more sense. They're very cheap. They're very reliable. Um, you know, they're not as... I was wondering why they didn't come up with, like, a pouch-type battery or something. But now it all now it all makes sense. Tyler. Yeah.
1: We have David, Chung, Eli, and Alice in the audience.
0: Oh, fantastic. To... David, what are you hiding in the audience for? We, we need yeah, you on Raise
1: stage. your hand, David.
0: Come on, David. Give us an update. What's going on? And we got Eli. Thank you, Cheryl. Welcome, welcome back, David. And how are you, sir? Welcome. Hi there. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> there we miss you. There's David. that laugh. So what uh-huh. what's going on? Give us what there's a. we read. Hey, David. So, David, we read so many headlines about China every day. And you know more of what's going on than anybody else that we've ever encountered. Um, what's the latest?
5: Um, so there's a big annual meeting, um, every year in China that's just taken place. It's in, um, the region called Beidaihe, which is just, um, east of Beijing next to the ocean. So, um, it's like this beachfront estate for senior party leaders to, Uh um, to, to go on a week-long retreat. Um, it's quite a special occasion because it's also where sort of big political decisions are made. Uh, because while in Beijing, senior leaders aren't necessarily in such close proximity to each other.
0: So we and uh, oh, go ahead.
5: Oh, sorry. So I guess the one of the I guess major telltale signs at this conference was uh, or at this retreat was for the first time in several years there was sort of an open um, criticism um, of, of uh, Xi Jinping at this, at this party retreat. And um, so the rumor mills have been going off like crazy uh, with wild speculations on who would be potential replacements in the party congress next year.
0: Mm. So thank you for that. Uh, we just read a headline a few minutes ago that the the government is saying that the live streamers in China should speak Mandarin and dress well. What's your take on why they're kind of making that announcement
5: um I think there's been a big move actually not just now but over the past couple of years to uh properly uh influence the influencers um, when they're influencing the mass public, right? And um, certainly, it has not helped that there's been so much scandals amongst both um, celebrities yeah, and the influencers.
0: Celebrity sex scandals and
5: whatnot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so you know, this is—it's actually nothing new. So there's a there's a major influencer. Well, I I, well, I don't know if you would call him an influencer, but someone who's obviously of um, quite. Repute or slash notoriety. He's the son of um, the chairman of the Wanda group. So this major real estate conglomerate group Um, So uh, I think this was 2019 I want to say Um, Xi Jinping's wife actually personally uh, sort of uh, took action against this um, billionaire's son right? who was um, You know often accused of making very um, poor decisions and public flaunting wealth and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's been a general push to create more positive influence through um, these online influencers. And, you know, as as sort of, I guess, big brother of an approach as that is from a Western perspective, I, I do think there is value um, to to, to, to what they're doing. And and here's my reasoning why, right? Because um, I think as internet users, um, especially younger internet users, they're just not quite as sophisticated. And then one of the biggest problems we've seen in China was when they launched um, these, um, these, I don't even know what the Western equivalent would be, but basically um, these video streaming apps where uh, people can go online to, uh, I don't know, follow these girls who are what they all do. What they do is just broadcast their daily lives and then you can give them virtual gifts, which actually does translate to money. And then people would throw their entire life savings at these people, right? So until I think there's more sophistication amongst internet users to not dump their entire life savings at some, at some pretty girl online, perhaps, um, more handholding from big brother is needed
0: in terms of requiring mandarin might this be for um surveillance type things where they're worried people speaking in languages uh, that are not mandarin are harder to kind of investigate you know if they're violating
5: kind of perceived
0: cultural norms or whatever? no
5: I don't actually think it's surveillance because I mean the surveillance tech is actually quite advanced now. Um, it's just this been this big push recently to uh, reduce the amount of um, dialects spoken across China and really focus on uh, Mandarin proper, right? Um, it, it, it's crazy when you look at how big the trend. I mean, how how big the the trend has turned. I I remember you know when I was a child. 20-plus um, years ago, it was fashionable for people to speak Cantonese in a lot of places that didn't speak Cantonese because that was part of the pop culture that was being imported from Hong Kong into China. Um, but that, that, that trend has completely reversed. right? So um, regions in southern China where they do speak Cantonese, um, young younger children now actually take pride in speaking um, proper Mandarin with a Beijing accent instead of speaking Cantonese. So I think that's actually been part of the uh central government's drive to um to I guess even make Chinese culture even more homogenous.
0: Okay. Well, um so thank you for that. Stay if you could join us uh, keep stay with us for a minute. I we're going to we have about 20 more to get through and I know there's at least one more Chinese one buried in there somewhere. Um and then welcome back Eli and let's see here's the first one it's just a fun article from the Guardian about a, an office in, um, in Bucharest, which is using all kinds of interesting tech to make it a post-COVID office. or an, They're calling it an anti-COVID office. Hands-free door handles, self-cleaning surfaces, antimicrobial paint, air monitoring display tools, UV light disinfection robots, and 135 other measures at an office block in Bucharest. And might, will this come everywhere as people go back to the offices? I suspect so. Interesting point there from the Guardian. And then IKEA has a new picture frame um, that has a Sonos Wi-Fi speaker hidden behind the art. So in the back of the picture frame is a Sonos Wi-Fi speaker. Latest collaboration between IKEA and Sonos puts great sound behind fabric art panels. That can be hung or l- lean against a wall. That's truly fantastic. So now you have hidden speakers in your rooms, hiding behind the art. That's genius. Uh, absolutely love that. It's called symphonisk. Sym. It's kind of uh, means symphony, doesn't uh, it, uh, uh, Johan? If you can translate that for us. Symphonisk must must. Symphonic.
2: Yeah. Symphonic.
0: Yeah, yeah. thank, Sym- you. thank you, Sarah. So yeah, like. If, for those who don't know, Ikea always does kind of clever, all of those, what seem like incredibly crazy uh, names that they have for all of the objects actually very often are very fun Swedish puns. Um, so, the, and they imply what the thing is about. So in this case, sim- symphonic for this makes sense once you translate it in English, which is true of a lot of Ikea's objects and their funny names. So the next one is indeed...
9: Things to do at um, uh, a party is to go to IKEA name generator website and figure out what kind of furniture
1: and name you would be if you were an IKEA furniture.
0: <laughs> so the the next article here, and we got Carl hiding down here. The next one is about China. It's from Yahoo Finance from BB, and it says U.S. agency has been created to counter China's new silk New Silk Road, which they probably means the BRI Belt Road Initiative. And the headline says, we don't do debt trap financing or debt diplomacy. The the competition to finance infrastructure projects and expand global influence between the U.S. and China is taking on a new dimension as countries address adverse effects of climate change. The U.S. International Development Finance Corporation has repeatedly stressed that the U.S. efforts are markedly different from China's Belt and Road Initiative, the BRI, the DFC the Development Finance Corporation, is very affirmatively seeking to provide an alternative to the type of financing that China provides through its Belt and Road Initiative, Jake Levine, chief climate officer at the DFC, told Yahoo Finance Live. China has engaged in a certain development finance practices that are more in line with the type of practices you see coming from authoritarian governments. You see other recipient governments oftentimes pressured to take sort of debt trap financing. Launched in 2019, the DFC partners with the private sector to develop projects that address needs in developing countries through debt financing, proper or project financing, and equity investments. The agency currently plays a role in the Biden administration's climate ambitions. We're now seeing that the market is clearly ahead, headed towards lean, clean energy and that the DFC is hoping to accelerate that transition in the markets where it's hardest to do and where it's been the slowest so far. US government's, the U.S. government is working with the G7 and providing a values-based alternative focus on sustainability, blah, blah, blah. A recent report from the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change unequivocally blamed human activity for warming. This is a really kind of stupid article generally. And this was announced at the end of the G7 meeting out of Cornwall about six weeks ago, was that the, the G7 were going to put together... Um, a a compelling alternative to the Belt and Road Initiative to help fund development projects in the developing world. So there's not much to that one, I don't think. The next one from BB is from Forbes uh, about legal tech, artificial intelligence-enabled review software powers, uh, software that is powered by AIs already carry out multiple legal tasks today. In the future, AI will affect and own even more of these tasks that lawyers conventionally do today. And we've heard this from even lawyers here in tech news around the world who say AI is coming for their jobs. So this is just another article uh, to kind of help add validation to that point. And this one says, The U.S. Army is using a controversial facial recognition technology that uses images from social media to identify people. Documents from a public records request show facial recognition company Clearview AI making bold claims to the military about its capabilities. But it's a paywalled article. So I will tweet that one out. But we are regularly joined by Clearview AI's co-founder, Charles, here in this room. He just hap- doesn't happen to be here at the moment because he's in London. But he was here yesterday. So but you can read that one from the Twitter account. I just sent that out. And the next one is a Taiwan team forced to remove the Taiwanese flag from at the Le Mans uh, race car event in Le Mans, France. It's an annual event where cars race. And Taiwan had a car there. They did last year. It says a Taiwanese team participating in the 24 hours of Le Mans sports car race in France were asked to remove the national flag from their car's hood before the start of the race. At the request of the organizers, the Taiwan national flag was replaced with the Chinese Taipei flag, which Taiwan uses in international sporting events such as the Olympic Games, according to a Chinese publication, CNA. But this is coming from Taiwan News. So (laughs) Uh, the the team owner, Morris Chen, was there with the team, but the spokesperson from his company did not say why race organizers called for the last minute change. In the qualifying round on Friday, the Taiwanese team was able to participate with the national flag on the hood of the venue, uh, on the hood and at the venue as it did last year, according to Taiwanese-based F1 auto racing. The decision to change the flag was probably due to the pressure from Beijing, seeing as how China China's Juan Heping is currently the vice president for sports at the body that runs Le Mans. Meanwhile, China's Tencent broadcast team announced it would not broadcast the race this year without giving an explanation. Chinese netizens have speculated the company decided to cancel the broadcast so viewers in China would not see the Taiwan's flag on display during the race. Okay. The next one is from... Oh, is Google making us dumber? It is. And then somebody sent in this one through the DMs of a new... Um, futuristic tiny home for $50,000. And it's a- absolutely gorgeous. I have to say, this is the most well-designed tiny home I've seen yet. And now you can have a house for 50,000 bucks. I absolutely love this. And this is what we need is more affordable housing options somewhere between a normal apartment and being homeless in a tent. And this really fits the bill. It's a Shipping container conversion, although it's a stunningly beautifully designed shipping container. And um, the team at house.me, H-A-U-S, recently expanded their collection of prefab homes with a brand new mobile dwelling known as the micro house. The 120 square foot structure features a fully equipped high-tech living space that can run self-sufficiently and is designed to be installed within minutes. And there's some really good photos and even a video. The composite structure is extraordinarily durable. Its yacht inspired exterior is created from fiberglass, stainless steel, and teak. And after years of research and prototyping, we're thrilled to finally launch the micro house, created using 3D printed structural components. It's gorgeous. I have to say, take a look at this, and they have the interior photos. It's gorgeous. Fifty thousand bucks for a house, so you have to wonder how much could you rent them out for? Um, quite affordably, I could imagine. So it's really cool. Thank you for whoever sent that in. The next one is a visa paid a, you know one hundred sixty thousand dollars for an NFT. We covered that one, and covered that. Harris, ah, here we go, uh, uh, David. This coming in from AP News two hours ago, so it's kind of breaking news. President or Vice President Harris is in Singapore, and the headline from AP News two hours ago is, Harris rebukes China in major speech on Indo-Pacific. And U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris delivered a sharp rebuke to China for its incursions in the South China Sea, warning its actions there amount to coercion and intimidation and affirming that the U.S. will support its allies in the region against Beijing's advances. Here's the quote. We know that Beijing continues to coerce, to intimidate, and to make claims to the vast majority of the South China Sea, she said in a major foreign policy speech Tuesday in Singapore in which she laid out the Biden administration's vision for the Indo-Pacific Beijing's actions continue to undermine the rules-based order and threaten the the sovereignty of nations. Harris, who is on a week-long swing through Southeast Asia, declared the U.S. stands with our allies and our partners in the face of threats from China. The speech sought to cement the U.S. commitment to supporting its allies in the area of growing importance to the Biden administration, which has made countering China's influence globally a centerpiece for its foreign policy, and it came during a critical moment for the United States as the Biden administration seeks to further solidify its Pivot towards Asia while America's decades-long focus on the Middle East comes to a messy end with the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. Her rebuke, uh, Harris She uh, "Her rebuke to Beijing amounts amounted to her sharpest comments yet on the U.S. foe." But Harris has was careful to emphasize that the U.S. is seeking greater engagement in the Indo-Pacific region, not just to counter China, but to advance our optimistic vision that we have for our participation and partnership in the region. It is our vital interest to stand united with our allies and our partners in Southeast Asia in defense of free and open Indo-Pacific. Okay, a Chinese foreign minister spokesperson, Wang Wenbin, said Monday that the U.S. had done unscrupulous and dishonest things in Afghanistan and called on the nation to help rebuild. The United States is the root cause and the biggest external factor in the Afghan issue when been said it it cannot just run away like this. Okay. And then Open Table, which in the U.S. is a rather popular, one of the most popular uh, apps to book a table at a restaurant to reserve a seat at a restaurant um has now integrated with clear's digital vaccine card for restaurants requiring proof of vaccination and indeed a lot of restaurants are now requiring proof of vaccination so now you can bring your proof of vaccination into open table when you book a table at a restaurant that requires proof of vaccination there you go you did it cities like new york san francisco new orleans are moving to enact covid 19 vaccination requirements for indoor dining so open table the open restaurant reservation service is rolling out features to help restaurants streamline vaccination checks. Clear built its company through a subscription service that expedites airport security by asking users to scan their eyes and face to verify their identity. But since the onset of... So Clear could get into the whole uh, identity verification game uh, in an interesting way as well. We, we, We talked about this a couple
3: of days ago, right? Some things related to Clear...
0: I'll remember it. Yeah, somebody on stage did, yeah. So uh, El Salvador readies Bitcoin rollout with 200 ATMs. So they uh, made that announcement, I don't know, a couple months ago that they were going to make it the currency. But, of course, you need ATMs to enable that, and so now they do. And there's a photo of them I just tweeted out. And here's an interesting one. Um, The U.S. lends support to Lithuania against China pressures. US Secretary of State Blinken spoke with Lithuania's foreign minister, agreed on bilateral coordination action to help withstand pressure from China over its decision to develop ties with Taiwan. So what happened is we read these headlines in real time a month ago when um, the Taiwan opened an office in inside the EU in Lithuania. And that means kind of you have to kind of recognize taiwan if they built an office in your country of lithuania and now china doesn't like lithuania because they let lithuania they lithuania let taiwan build this office in the eu and what it's doing is it's paving the road for formal recognition of taiwan as a sovereign independent nation and um so china has started to retaliate in recent headlines that we've read here and now america is lending support to lithuania to address China's retaliations against Lithuania's recognition of Taiwan. So, the U.S. Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken spoke with Lithuania's foreign minister on Saturday and agreed to bilateral coordinated action to help the country withstand pressure from China over its decision to develop ties with Taiwan. China, on August 10th, demanded that Lithuania withdraw its ambassador in Beijing and said it would recall China's envoy to Vilnius, which is the capital of, uh, of Lithuania in a row over the Baltic state, allowing Chinese claimed Taiwan to open a de facto embassy there using its own name. So yeah, Taiwan opened an embassy in Lithuania calling itself Taiwan. And now China says you must remove your ambassador from China and we're going to remove our ambassador from Lithuania. Blinken and the foreign minister agreed China's unilateral aggressive actions and political pressure on lithuania were totally unacceptable a statement on the phone call published by the lithuanian foreign ministry on sunday said the statement did not give any details of the agreed bilateral action in a separate statement the u.s department of state said secretary blinken underscores ironclad u.s solidarity with our nato ally and eu partner lithuania in the face of the people republic. of china's coercive Behavior. China considers dem- democratically ruled Taiwan its sovereign territory. The United States is Taiwan's strongest international backer and main supplier of arms. Okay, so the next one is from Bloomberg. JD revenue beats estimates, defying Chinese crackdown. Uh, reporting sales that beat analyst estimates as consumer spending improved, defying a crackdown. And JD is kind of like yeah, a massive online e commerce site. And just so to say massive is an understatement. It's, it's ginormous. And amid Kabul evacuation chaos, Biden under pressure to extend deadline is now being reported by Reuters with thousands of desperate Afghans and foreigners crowding into Kabul airport in the hope of fleeing Afghanistan. Uh, Biden expected to decide within 24 hours on Afghan evacuation deadline. A Swedish company called Hybrid uh, delivers first carbon free steel to the Volvo, to Volvo, essentially. So, Volvo can make their cars out of carbon free steel. And that tells you all you need to know about how uh, focused <laughs> Scandinavia is around uh, becoming a good actor on the environment. South Korea to deliver Domino's Pizza via drones in Sejong City is the headline. South Korea doing domino pizza delivery by drones and you can see this actual photo and video there's an actual video that i just tweeted out thank you to bb for this one from daily motion i gotta watch this myself i want to see domino's pizza flying oh it starts with an ad that's unfortunate it's an eight second ad and then the next one is from froz tokyo opens makeshift oxygen station for covid patients. As hospitals buckle, wait at station if hospital can't accommodate. Experts say oxygen only provides temporary relief and that the government should quickly build a makeshift COVID-19 hospital. Cheryl, have you seen any of these oxygen stations around Tokyo or Tomoko? Can you hear me? Um, uh,
1: Tomoko-san, dozo. I think it's in only Shibuya, right? I haven't seen and not many people have been using because, you know, the people who need oxygen can't move anyway.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I think there is, a, I, I don't know whether they're working on it now. They're thinking about converting the Olympic village into uh, temporary uh, facilities to house those uh, COVID patients. Yeah. So I'm not sure whether um, it's underway. Yeah. No, I don't think the village will be used for the temporary hospital because it's already sold out. Hmm. Ah, okay. But the, there are other facilities, right? Yes, I think yeah. uh, the the property, will be used.
0: So okay. it is in Shibuya. It says the so-called oxygen station in Tokyo's Shibuya district is aimed at people who develop a problem while oscillating at home or waiting for hospital vacancies. It is staffed by three doctors and 25 nurses. And for those who don't know, Shibuya is the one of the busiest shopping centers in Tokyo. And it's where you often see videos of people crossing a street, (laughs) like (laughs) the crazy Shibuya scramble it's called um, with a very nice Starbucks with a great view over the uh, scramble. But um, it's, it's kind of strange that they would put it there. I I mean, maybe put it in Megaro or somewhere (laughs) where where you have more of the kind of families or old folks kind of, um, Maybe uh, Kamakura, where a lot of old folks trying to climb up the hill to see Daibutsu maybe you could put it there if they, if they need oxygen. Um, the next one is Chinese billionaire linked companies convicted of fraud in the U.S. Six companies tied to China billionaire Liu Zhongtian were convicted in the U.S. of disguising aluminum shipments to avoid paying a $1.8 billion fine. This is from Bloomberg from Faraz, and it says, six companies tied to Chinese billionaire were convicted in the U.S. of distinguishing aluminum shipments to avoid paying a $1.8 billion in customs duty to boost the value of China Jiangwan holdings. Two California-based companies, which were controlled by Liu, bought aluminum extrusions that were spot-welded to make them appear as pallets, which weren't subject to anti-dumping duties and stored them in warehouses also controlled by Liu. And the headline reads, Chinese billionaire link companies convicted of fraud in the US. The next one is also from Faraz, digital identity startup, Forge Rock files for IPO, a maker of identity verification software filed for an IPO. Here it comes. China tech stocks rebound on buying. Uh, We covered that one. And Bloomberg has that one from Frost China, ride Hailing giant DD halts European expansion. We covered that one. And Evan, you have this one. La Puente man steals 620,000 iCloud photos in plot to find images of nude women, man who tricked thousands of iPhone users into giving up their passwords. Admit he stole private photos and videos and shared them. Um, there it is. The next one is uh, SoftBank makes first Africa bet on Opay. Of two, uh, now they have a two billion valuation. SoftBank and Sequoia just invested in another Nigerian mobile payments platform. And eighty-six uh, percent of Bahrain consumers switch to e-commerce, according to uh, the tweet from Faraz. And Saudi Arabia set to build two six hundred megawatt solar plants. That's huge. Those are, that's huge solar plants. The plants will be implemented in the third industrial city of Jeddah and industrial city of Rabig. So that's Jesus. Two separate 600 megawatt solar plants. No, they have no shortage of uh, sun there in Saudi Arabia. That's for sure. The UAE and the Philippines explore possible space sector collaboration Exploring the latest developments in space science and advanced technologies can create high, highly skilled talent. And what is this one? Sweden's armed forces wanted to use Afghanistan war to increase marketability of their fighter aircraft, reveals WikiLeaks. A WikiLeaks cable has revealed that Sweden's armed forces wanted to use the Afghanistan war to market their fighter jets. And for those who don't know, Sweden is one of the, that is a main export of Sweden, is their kind of military, industrial uh, weaponry and and such. Um, Kind of a not so well-known aspect of Sweden (laughs) that they would like to kind of prefer it that way. Uh, India startups raised uh, $6.5 billion of funding in Q2, 11 new unicorns in Q2, bringing them up to 20, what are they up to, 26, Joe.
1: So, India 27, isn't it, yesterday?
0: Yeah, Yeah, yesterday they had the new one. Um, Maven Clinic becomes the first U.S. unicorn dedicated to women's and family health. Maven CEO Kate Ryder discusses the future of women's and family health and how COVID has changed the sector. And now there's an article, Why did Visa just buy a CryptoPunk for $150,000? From MarketWatch. Visa says it doesn't expect it doesn't expect to be the last major institution to buy an NFT. Visa said on Monday it purchased a CryptoPunk or NFT for nearly $150,000. We want to have a seat at the table as crypto economy evolves, right? You don't want to get left out. Because your whole business model might just, poof, disappear. And you got to do everything you can. And that's why Visa... You're noticing lots of headlines in the past three months of them acquiring startups, tech startups, fintech startups, because they don't want to get left out like Kodak did when shit switched. They could have bought Instagram and they didn't. And Visa could buy a lot of fintechs that are innovating, disruptive models that are existential threats to their own, and they are investing heavily in those startups that are existential threats to their business model. And that's what you should do too. If your business model is going to get completely disrupted by uh, innovation, is invest in those companies who you perceive as competitors. Twitter and Square CEO Jack Dorsey says he is trying Bitcoin mining. And Bitcoin hash rates road to recovery, uh, making up for all of the... When, When our friend David moved uh, the mining rigs out of China to uh, Texas, the hash rate went down notably. It looks like mobility's got his hand up. And what else do we have here? Democrats hit impasse on infrastructure bill. Uh, Ken, you have a comment on this wall street journal article about Democrats and the infrastructure bill.
8: Yeah. I mean, I sent it to you. Um, Basically everyone was talking about it when they, when it, Passed the the Senate and everything um, like this was going to be like a done deal. And I've always been pointing out that it's far from done because of of Pelosi basically and Biden saying that they're going to try to pair it with a larger bill. okay, that may not pass. And at some point, then she's being forced now by her own, some of her own Democrats in the House they're going to have to make a choice. They want to get nothing done. or they, do they want to just pass the infrastructure bill and just, you know, piss off the progressives in the democratic party? Mm. Um, cause that's, that's essentially where that is, because I think there was, you know, Justin did a room on this the other day and even
6: he conceded that. I would argue that's a lot of, uh, uh, political theater hoopla.
8: Well, I mean, that's what politics is. I mean, by nature, I mean, I, I don't think I don't, you know, you can argue it's theater and the house Democrats will eventually back down, but which some people think they haven't yet, but more importantly, Joe Manchin's not going to back down and Kristen Sinema is not going to back down in the Senate. So, um, you know, so this, you know, either they're going to thin down the larger bill, you know, maybe, maybe Manchin will vote for that, but there's a chance that nothing gets done. And the other thing that, people are not paying a lot of attention to we're we're about to hit the debt ceiling on uh, early September and 46 out of the 50 Republicans have said they won't vote to increase it. Now that theater has been done before to use the term theater. And usually I guess they get it done, but the Republicans are in a different situation now. Um, I actually think that they have very little political risk if they want to hold out on the debt ceiling for something. You know, and if were, if, and if what they hold out for is not to pass the larger bill, they got a lot of leverage. So, I mean, so, yeah, that was my whole point of sending you that article.
0: OK, and then you have another one here from The Wall Street Journal about Richard Branson's Virgin Orbit said Boeing will invest in the satellite launching startups plan. A $3.2 billion SPAC listing later this year and investment that comes as the planes makers own space program faces hurdles. And I guess it's as simple as that kind of face value and uh, how digital media turned us all into dopamine addicts. Yes. Sorry.
12: Yeah, Tyler. I was just, uh, no, that was me. Go ahead, Ella. Boeing's been having some serious problems. So I think they will do any and everything, (laughs) any and everything in the next six months to to a year to save face because they are really doing bad on the DoD and a, a lot of public records. So. That's the so, FYI. Okay.
3: And just really shitty engineers in general. I'm sorry.
12: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. They took Chris, a don't 60, throw that in there. Don't throw that in there. <laughs>
3: they took a 60 year old airframe and thought, hey, let's throw some giant motors on it. And when the thing was no longer balanced, they said, let's throw some software at it. And when the software didn't work, they said, um, let's throw a, a, an alarm that lets the pilots know there's, the software is not working. And some executives said, let's make that an option. And therefore, 700 people died when the 737 MAX uh, crashed five minutes after takeoff.
12: And it was so, Ethiopia, so yeah, Chris, this is touching hard, Let's, let's not, let's not I problems. know, they, they're just, they just, it's just old people trying to do new tech, and I don't even <laughs> want to go there, but that's fine. There was some yeah, devastating
7: reporting. That, on, that um... was even personal here, you know, that we lost some people that we know, but the annoying part of it was it, the issue was raised in Malaysia after the Malaysian airlines expai—I uh, mean crashed and didn't even bother to do anything. And then even trying, trying to blame the pilots, not knowing how, what to do until the investigation found out. So they, they had so much issue to fix. Anyway, that was personal to me. That's why <laughs> the Ethiopian Airlines crashed. Okay. There there was some devastating reporting about uh, the QC on uh, spare parts out of uh, um, their Seattle plant. Um, And uh, I I think it was the guy who used to manage that plant who said he would not fly on a Boeing plane because of the way they were using failed parts.
0: Mm. Okay. Um, So the next one up here... Is Google Wing, which is their drone company. Google Wing delivery drones could soon be picking up packages from Australian shops rather than asking retailers to co locate in the tech giants' distribution centers, which I've seen video documentaries about this, where Google drone deliveries being thoroughly tested in, uh, I believe, Adelaide in Australia, and they're delivering coffee and everything else. But to make it work, they they are building little test uh, distribution centers. And as you know, in the future, they're going to have to pick up the stuff and then deliver it or Google's going to need its own distribution centers like Amazon has, um, which it doesn't seem like they want to get into that mess. So um, Google Wing Delivery Jones could soon pick up the packages from the Australian shops directly rather than asking retailers. To co-locate in Google's distribution centers, which the shops would love that, but that this is just a whole wild concept now that um, you're going to be able to order things from stores, any any little mom and pop store, the drone will go to that store, pick it up from that store, and bring it to you, basically, and. Um, yeah but you make the the question is where do you make the purchase from? I imagine you make the purchase from Google and they get a cut of that obviously and there's obviously they cover their costs and whatever but and of course there's data implications all over that, but really interesting to see how that's evolving. I just tweeted that out Facebook to bring audio and video calls back to the main app so you don't use the messenger app, you use just the the regular blue Facebook app to do video calls. In audio calls and messages, and the question is, why would they do that? I think it's because they want you to reform the habit of checking Facebook. Once you open the app to make the call, you're likely to check in on your friends, and I think they're worried that people are no longer in the habit of doing that. Just a guess. Um, Bill Gates pledges. Yes, Maria.
5: And then. To become a super app, and they also don't need to get um, um, consent twice on two separate apps for access to data
0: Kate Spade wanted to get creative so a, a a store in New York City just made an AR experience out of their windows so when you walk by with your phone and you point your phone at the window of you know the mannequins, you get this really cool AR experience and um, we had an article an hour ago about... The Sorry, Tyler, SLS. to interrupt.
12: Is that a QR, though? I wonder if they're reading a the QR code, or could is be. it really AR glasses? No,
0: through I cannot... a phone. Okay, okay. okay so yeah, the QR code could do that, yeah. And we
8: could... Hey, yeah. I could just go back very quickly on one point. I just tweeted something out to you, only because it came up in the conversation for anyone who's interested. It's actually, like, uh, it was came out two years ago. But um, the New Republic had a massively detailed article entitled Crash Course, How Boeing's Managerial Revolution Created the, 730, the 737 MAX Disaster. It's really, really interesting about their management culture and management all the... And... <laughs> and I just tweeted that out to you if you want to retweet it to everybody, or somebody can go on my own t- Twitter, Twitter account and find it for anyone who's interested in that.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh... Next next headlines here, Bill Gates pledges $1.5 billion to climate projects in the infrastructure bill over three years for climate change partnerships with the Department of Energy through his climate investments. And iOS 15, which we should all be downloading in a week or two, makes FaceTime calls between Android and iPhone easy. Here's how to try it out now. I just tweeted that out. It lets FaceTime break free of Apple's ecosystem. So apparently, FaceTime's coming to Android. The next one. Is, uh, on,
3: on oh, sorry, on this, Tyler, how important do you think this is in the social uh, commerce game? Do you think Apple's trying to make a social commerce play?
0: Doesn't no, not not. I wouldn't draw that from that headline, anyways. Because you're going to need live streaming to... Yeah,
3: no, you're right. You need apps. You need an app. It wouldn't be FaceTime that would drive that.
0: Yeah. Although they could add, Apple does have your medical data. It does have your payment data. And it does have FaceTime. So they could do telemedicine calls with doctors in a heartbeat if they wanted to. Because they have everything you need. You have the, the video call. You've got the health data. And the, pay, the click to pay with Apple Pay.
12: yeah, And it opens it up to a wider market.
0: Yeah, but it's not just telemedicine. It's mental health, tel, tele-mental health, tele-everything platforms. No, gonna... I meant
12: Android. Android controls, you know, 80% of the market globally. Yeah, sure. That's what I meant.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I am. if Apple were going to do anything, I think they could go big into tele-health, tele-mental health, tele-everything. You could have... Build a whole marketplace of plumbers and architects and experts on every kind of category that you would have these pay calls with essentially That's
3: that's kind of what I meant. I'm sorry. It's just more that yeah. like Apple's so calculated, right? They they know what market they want to go after, you know, yeah. the the segment meaning higher end. They develop the stickiness. I mean, God, we're on iOS fifteen, that's laughable, right? <laughs> You know, that we've been running 15 versions of the same software for a lot mm-hmm. of us, you know, like, um, and then they turn on the spigot once they realize we're hooked and we're not going to go to Android no matter what.
0: So LG successfully demonstrates 6G, uh, transfers data over 100 meters, built new power amplifier to deliver stable signals at the 6 gig 6G. Uh, spectrum crucial as 6G has short range and loses power during transmission and reception between antennas because the 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 range is getting shorter as the signal gets higher in in frequency.
12: And the 6G was in Korea, right, Tyler? Uh, it says
0: LG, so I have to imagine it would be yeah. Uh, the LG is See, Korean. This, yeah. is,
7: this is why the, the the vaccines don't have 5G chips. <laughs>
0: The German researchers uncover secret to children's protection from coronavirus. Immune system appears to be better prepared for coronavirus attacks, thanks to the cells of their upper respiratory tract being on constant high alert, according to South China Morning Post. However, children are uh, uniquely disadvantaged For a different type of virus, can anyone name a virus that specifically targets children?
3: Parainfluenza.
0: I I was thinking of dengue. Dengue actually targets people with uh, better immune systems, strangely.
6: Respiratory
7: syncytial virus, RSV.
0: Yeah. The next headline is... uh, SpaceX's next mission to ISS will contain a robot and plants. So they're taking some plants and robots up to the ISS. And Elon Musk says SpaceX has shipped 100,000 Starlink Wi-Fi terminals. As they continue to make a lot of progress with that. And Google tries to explain its search business as antitrust scrutiny rises. The tech giant faces several major competition lawsuits, according to CNET. And El Salvador's official Bitcoin wallet will go live on September 7th. Evidence mounts that people with breakthrough infections can spread Delta easily. A new study finds that this dominant variant can grow in the noses of vaccinated people as strongly as unvaccinated people. So your vaccine status, this is according to National Geographic, and it implies that your vaccine status doesn't impact your ability to transmit the virus. So you do, yes. need, you do need a mask even though you're vaccinated. Can we put that yes. whole issue to rest?
1: I, that's, that's why actually I don't really agree with the vaccine card or vaccine passport because it was kind of like, you know, make those people who are vaccinated feel that they're all right, but actually they're not all right.
0: Rwanda anti-terrorism mission in Mozambique. Uh, is from DW, Dochuela. I just sent that out. Virgin Orbit going public via SPAC. We got that one. Google's head of AI talks about the future of e- um, uh, EHR. Jeff Dean, head of artificial intelligence at Google, talks with Eric Topol. It's a interview, a podcast called Medicine and the Machine. So I just tweeted that out. And Chinese industrial robot manufacturers are ramping up their capacity to boost their domestic market share from 30% to the government set goal of 50%. And wearable sensors detect what's in your sweat. New easy to make sensors can provide real time measurements of electrolytes and metabolites in perspiration. And... Uh, we covered the unheard one, and no Lormy sent that. And father and son are charged in a twenty-one million dollar lottery fraud. And a company called Zetwork turns unicorn after one hundred and fifty million dollar funding led by D One Capital. Small town boom for online brokerages uh, from the economic, uh, in India, I should say, from the Economic Times of India. Climate activists block streets in central London, kicking off two weeks of planned protests against inaction over climate change. And this is all just ramping up for the COP26 in um, Glasgow, no doubt, where no doubt Extinction Rebellion will be on hand and handcuffing themselves to buildings and all kinds of interesting objects. And I just tweeted out the article from Cheryl from Reuters, showing the climate activists in central London, and they've come up with very new, creative, disruptive ways to block traffic, where they handcuff themselves to each other, but before they do, they install a very tall obelisk in the middle of the road. They cut a hole in the middle of it, put their hands through it, handcuff themselves to it inside the obelisk, so the police officers can't unhandcuff them or move them because this semi-permanent structure in the middle of the road and the handcuffed hands are inside the oblique so they can't access the handcuffs so unhandcuff them they can't remove the oblique from the road so now you've got these kind of the question is how do they go to the bathroom i guess is the real question the next one is from the bbc record number of migrants cross channel in a day more than 800 people reach the uk on saturday in 30 small boats. Um authorities rescued and intercepted 828 people in 30 small boats on Saturday, while French prevented 193 people in 10 boats. The question is, where are they coming from? This is from the BBC. And where do they go to the bathroom? And same question same, for both. Same articles. question. Yeah. So the home office said nearly 200 people making the trip were also stopped by the French. Nearly 12,500 people have made the journey so far this year. Officials say they are safe there are safe and legal routes for migrants and they were working with international partners to tackle the dangerous crossings. The home office said the UK authorities rescued or intercepted 828 people in 30 small boats. The previous highest number of migrants across the channel in a single day was August 12th. So just two weeks ago when 592 people made the journey, where are they coming from? Answer my question. <laughs> Dan, uh, o. Oh, Mah- Mahoney and clandestine channel threat commander said these dangerous crossings from safe EU countries are completely unnecessary, and we are determined to take down the, civ- the evil criminal gangs behind them. Yeah, there's trains and shit that can do this stuff now, and big ferries. You don't need to be taking these very dangerous, uh, like inflatable rafts uh, across the English Channel. That's just complete stupidity. Um, it's totally legal to take the train or the boat. So, um, a deal agreed between London and Paris last month will see France double the number of police patrolling its beaches. It will also fund improved intelligence sharing and introduce better technology to target people who organize the crossings. The government hopes an overall overhaul of asylum rules will deter migrants in the future, but it has prompted a backlash from campaigners and charities who have urged the government to create more safe routes and schemes for asylum seekers and refugees. It comes as ministers around announced a resettlement program to allow 5,000 Afghans to come to the UK with a long-term goal of helping 20,000 people from the country. Okay. I guess they're coming from Afghanistan. But that never says that anywhere. It's quite interesting. Okay. So the next one up is, um, we covered the climate change. From Shane, you have one about NASA. A new Mars mission is moving towards launch. This week's NASA Escapade Mission, short for Escape and Plasma Acceleration and Dynamics Explorers, passes a key design review. And you can take a look at that. Very cool looking object. Singapore offers its A330 tanker aircraft to help U.S. airlift evacuees. No doubt related to the fact that uh, Kamala Harris is in Singapore. And another one from Shane about NASA and Mars. Just sending that out. Bezos said... And then Saudamini Kumar sends in this one from... India, the Economic Times of India, that the government wants to make India a data center hub. The policy is currently being circulated for inter-ministerial consultations and is expected to be sent to the cabinet approval shortly. And another, how to easily book vaccination slots on WhatsApp, just sending that out. India to play an important role in tech development for UBS, according to the Indian Times and, who sent space? Head... India different operates. India to resume. India to resume COVID vaccine exports in 2022. Had a government export panel, and Walmart launches a delivery business to connect other local retailers with consumers. Oh, that's interesting. Very similar to Google's drone, essentially. So it says. Um, this is from CNBC, the delivery fleet will include newer technologies such as self-driving vehicles and drones. There we go. Walmart getting into the delivery game and the logistics game by connecting even their competitors, small mom and pops everywhere with consumers. But you have to order through the Amazon app. I'm sorry, the Walmart app, no doubt. So it says from CNBC, CNBC, Uh, Walmart on Tuesday announced the launch of a delivery service called Go Local. The white label service will deliver goods from other local retailers to customers. Walmart said the the delivery fleet will include newer technologies such as self-driving vehicles and drones. And you've heard me rant multiple times, have you not, that whoever does the delivery owns the customer? So if Walmart starts taking orders for mom and pop shops, and they know you're buying coffee from this little cafe. And next time you order, they can magically change who fulfills the order. Oh, you wanted a coffee? Oh, yeah, we got that. Now it's coming directly from Walmart. So this is a very clever way to eventually cannibalize uh, the mom and pops, who they, in the short term, will list inside the app, and but then eventually realize who the customers are and what they're ordering, and then cut out the mom and pops which has essentially been Walmart's business model from the beginning. It's about bringing the capabilities that we as Walmart have been laser focused on building and connecting for our own customers to life for both local and national businesses. Yeah, of course. Walmart, you know, helping small businesses. That's what they've been about for the past, you know, 70 years, 40 years. Yeah utterly systematically destroying destroying small cities. utterly systematically carpet bombing napalming small businesses for generations yeah but we're here to help i mean that's what we are that's a, we're here to help small businesses when when you think of walmart that's what you think <laughs> that's what you think about right helping the small mom and pop shop that you know the the i don't know 50 million mom and pop shops that we've utterly obliterated over the last 50 years What a fucking joke. This is a very clever way to continue to destroy them. Rather rather genius way to continue to destroy mom and pop shops. Be the last minute delivery system for them. Track all of the orders. Track all the customers. And then rug pull that shit. And then watch those businesses collapse into a black hole. As Walmart has done over the decades. LS?
12: yeah tyler i'm I'm just listening to you, but I don't want to you know be just be opposite and, and disagree no, no do it. I do agree with you. I do agree with you one hundred percent, but I think where this world is going, and I'm in that world of a i and you know small businesses and a g i stuff, but I think what Walmart's trying to do, and governments will stop them is there will be a hybrid, and I've said it in the past few months, and you've said this. I think there will just be these two worlds there will be small businesses. And there will be, you know, online delivery and so forth. Um, but the small, like um, to MA's point in the past, yoga shops, certain things you will do physical. But Walmart will be that back end or, or Amazon local supply chain. And I'm in this world and robotics and AI will deliver it to you. But it won't be all or nothing. It won't be binary. That's, I guess, in my brain. And and so what's coming, in my, in my opinion, I've spoke about this, you know, three, 10 years ago, six years ago, and and recently, I think there's just gonna be, especially with COVID and climate change and jobs, everyone's like, oh yeah, we're gonna bring jobs back. There's no, I said this two years ago, there's no jobs coming. And I wasn't even thinking about climate change and COVID, which is just going crazy in the US, you know? Tennessee losing their babies, watching them float away in a damn flood. It's just scary to me. So I think there'll be more hybrids of what happens when you have all these variables and predicting that, I'm working on it, but and then how do you solve that problem? But it won't go away, because I still think humans will want to touch. But I agree with you, 80% will be more, you know, automated online and distributed, but people will go out more for social. And like the UBI, not so much the UBI consumer world, they'll make their money, But it'll be digital and physical, and they'll just go out and do the other. That's all I'm saying. That's my piece on
0: that. So it says, Walmart has spent the past five years building its ability to deliver goods to customers. In 2018, Walmart launched its grocery delivery service, fulfilling orders for Walmart stores. The company launched Walmart fulfillment services in February 2020 to compete with the growth of Amazon and, and Shopify. The company discontinued Jet and... So the uh, the point is they have the logistics to do all of this, you know, one hour, two hour delivery. The problem is they've got more logistical uh, power than orders coming in as people aren't ordering from Walmart. They're ordering from Amazon. So Walmart very cleverly says, ah, what if we tell all the mom and pops around our logistics centers that they too can sell their stuff and have it delivered in two hours. So now you're going to see in all the mom and pop stores within their delivery network have signs that say, hey, uh, next time, just order uh, from the Walmart app when you want anything from our
12: mom and pop store and they'll deliver it for you. They'll come in. And Tyler, you're, you're touching on something huge because if you think about the digitization in tech, which is I'm focused on, and, and you, you know this and Chris knows and everything else, why would they have to trade off that inventory or that local warehouse? You talked about this, you know, with me and you and Kyle about six months ago and everyone else. Like, why would they worry about that just-in-time inventory if Walmart has it? There will be a, a trade-off on the cost. You know, these small businesses won't make the same premium but then they won't have to have it in-emerge Your phone just got out. I think
3: I think what LS is kind of getting at is a bench essentially these small businesses are going to just be uh commission sales agents for for Walmart.
0: <laughs> Funny. So the the interesting bit is even if the mom and pop doesn't promote the Walmart app to their customers and they just say, "Hey, uh, we can deliver that to you. Would you like that delivered? So you, you're on their website or you're on some somewhere and you order something from some mom and pop. Although I imagine what they're going to do is create, like DoorDash or Instacart, some kind of branded delivery app. And this branded delivery app won't necessarily promote Walmart. Uh, it won't be called the Walmart app. It'll be called something else. And... They're going to get all of the orders, all the data. And um, and then whenever Walmart's ready, they'll just shift the order from the mom and pop fishing shop to their own you know, fishing rod or whatever. And they'll fill the order that way. They'll be like, you know, fishing rod, here's the price inside of the app. And it won't necessarily distinguish and the, the shopper doesn't really much care where it's coming from. It's just it could be used to cannibalize the mom and pops by getting them to promote this delivery system. And then because they own the delivery, they own the customer at the, at the last meter. And that I've said it before, this is not unique to Walmart. Whoever owns the delivery owns the customer at the end of the day because they could disrupt whoever was the app where the order was placed. And we've already seen this. And there's, in fact, a startup now that is helping restaurants get off of the delivery apps and, and allowing people to order directly rather than through the the kind of ordering apps. Like the so yeah they they provide very clever ways to hide QR codes inside the lid of the box. You know, so when you receive your order and you open the box, there's a QR code that says get five dollars off next time and order from us directly. And um anyway.
3: That that's the other part I was going to say, too, is that, you know, you introduce a new level to the small business where they have to compete for eyeballs. So I I can imagine that Walmart's going to basically create a bidding system for for track for marketplace. Yeah, they could. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, you're you're suddenly going to have to compete against uh, the other restaurant that's, you know, in town that's serving the same kind of food that you are.
12: But the other thing, guys, I'm back, I think, because it's funny I had a disconnection, but I think that the small business uh, local municipalities, or at least in the U.S., and like you, uh, uh, Tyler, you're in Thailand, they're going to want that that tax revenue of how they support themselves locally, and so you're going to get some pushback uh, of allowing certain small businesses to maintain. That's why I think it'll be an 80-20 rule. That's all I'm saying, and so... You know, the big guys will continue to encroach and do what they do, and there'll be others that come up and do what they do. But you're going to, in my opinion, you're going to see a balance shift. And this may be three years out, three months or nine years out, where there's a shift where we get all this automation and technology like we have today. We're speaking on, you know, computers, basically. Um, And but we're going to have a difference of what we choose to do and how we do it. And there is going to be that pushback because how does these local governments sustain themselves?
0: Yeah. So the next headline is from Craig Nielsen in the audience about Cleveron launches driverless last mile delivery vehicles. And it's another one of these cute half-size vans or quarter-sized vans. Adaptable semi-autonomous platform enables same-hour delivery, one-hour delivery. Autonomous vehicles. You can take a look at the one uh, in the photo I just tweeted out. And if you click into the article, you'll see another photo. Uh, so really, it's a wild looking thing called the Cleveron. has piloted the their Cleveron 701 for the past six months on public streets across its home country of Estonia with mass produced production slated to begin next year. Developed in the company's hometown, the lightweight electric vehicle has an option to use different rechargeable batteries, maximum speed of 30 miles per hour, and a load capacity of 500 pounds. It's all coming. A whole lot of these things all competing for each other. Walmart, oh, and and they even mentioned Walmart in this article about this new driverless uh, delivery vehicle. It says... Uh, Walmart operates more than 11,400 stores under 55 banners in 26 countries and e-commerce websites employing 2.2 2 million people worldwide. Walmart U.S. is number one on the PG-100 progressive grocers list of the top food and con- consumables retailers in North America. Why are they mentioning Walmart in, the, in that way in the last paragraph? Um offers new form of, gro- Walmart offers new form of grocery delivery. a whole separate article, by the way. Um, oh, the technology company is known for its parcel lockers, robots, and grocery kiosks used by such retailers as Walmart and Albertsons. So this company is being used by Walmart already, clever on. And then a re- separate but similar article, Walmart offers new form of grocery deliveries beginning this spring, participant customers in, Bentonville, Arkansas, which is right near their headquarters, will be able to receive deliveries from their local Walmart directly into a temperature-controlled home valet-powered smart box placed outside their home. Customers receive secure contactless deliveries with the peace of mind knowing their grocery items will stay fresh.
12: And and Tyler, I I don't want to vent too much. I'm just dealing with some issues over here in California, but to Don's point, You know watching these uh stories up close of the families back east with these hurricanes and tornadoes and so forth if you can do all with delivery you don't run to the grocery store where they're sold out of water goods flashlights everything so i think logistics will change with climate change uh, or climate migration and these these you know um in the us uh, if anyone didn't know you probably already covered this but you know, there's been like a lot of hurricanes and everything. And I'm, on, I'm in California, but back east, that came in 72 hours. It just came out of nowhere. And so all this displacement happened like in four days. So it's just intriguing to me. And people were running to the store, fighting each other again over batteries and water and toilet paper and all these other things. And it's kind of sad, but you just see it continue.
0: Okay, so the next one is... A new Bonkers Tri Wing Jumbo Jet. So, when you know you've flown on an airplane before, you probably notice there's uh, one large set of wings on the airplane, right? Now, this new airplane has three sets of wings, and it can carry uh, the regular 264 passengers that most like 747s can, but is 70 percent more fuel efficient thanks to its tri-wing design. And you have to see this thing. I just tweeted it out at the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. And then this one from Poppy says, Out of the 17 most water-stressed countries in the world, 11 are in the Middle East. Nearly 66 million people in the region lack basic sanitation, and very low proportions of wastewater are adequately treated. That's a lot of millions of people without clean water, and it's disappearing. Where will they go? Where will they go? The droughts are starting. Where are they going to go? When you don't have water, you don't have food, you have famine. They, If they stay, they die. So, uh, worth contemplating. The next one is uh, from Abjit that EMPs could combat vast drone swarms better than weapons. Indeed, we've talked about this here as the idea of as drones are becoming militarized and weaponized, even commercial drones, and you can make swarms of them. And we've even seen reports of that. So you have swarms of weaponized drones that can attack anything. And... This headline uh, says EMPs, electronic uh, pulse, could could combat vast drone swarms better than weapons. Exactly right. Yeah, we've discussed that. And now somebody else figured that out and decided to make a blog post about it. So kudos to them. South Korea set to curb Google. Apple commission dominance. Now you know why Apple and Google are running to Uncle Joe Biden to help. South Korea is likely to bar Google and Apple from charging software developers commissions on in-app purchases. Oh, my God. That would be crazy if Korea makes it illegal for Apple and Google to charge their 30%. that They charge all of the developers. South Korea is likely to bar Google and Apple from requiring software developers to use their payment systems. Oh, separate issue. Effectively stopping them from charging commissions on in-app purchases. Oh, okay. The first such curbs on the tech giants by a major economy. Oh, and now you know why they're freaking out. Because that could be a domino effect, just like we see in India, um, with the way they handle companies and uh, other company other countries start doing the same. Um, Ethiopia just announced they're going to have their own Facebook and Twitter replacements, by the way. Samsung unveils a $205 billion plan to hire 40,000 more people over three years. And this one from Hans Vberg in the audience um, about a video of, from a prison shows terrible conditions and beatings of political prisoners. This is also where dual nationals from US, UK, and EU are kept. International community must take a strong action. Hans, where, where, where is Evan, this Evan prison? Let's get Hans up here to help us understand what's going on, if he's still in the audience. Anyone know where? Oh, let me tweet it out so everyone can see it at the Tech News Twitter account. It appears to be the Middle East. I'm really hoping it's not in Afghanistan uh, or in Iran.
10: It probably is in Iran.
0: It, the city is spelled E-V-I-N. Evan...
10: You... I believe that's the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, It It seems like it is Iran. So uh, a a leaked video from a prison in Evan shows terrible conditions and beatings of political prisoners. Um, And this is where dual nationals from the U.S., UK, and EU are kept. International community must take strong action. And Opinion Afghan won't. So there's a new Wall Street Journal article. The headline reads, The Afghan Who Won't Surrender to the Taliban, Ahmad Massoud, leads the resistance in the province of Panjshir. Can he and his fighters hold out? Well, you're a little late to the party because they just took over all of the uh, weaponry that the Americans left, the Taliban did. So your resistance would have been a lot better timed had you resisted before they reached the munitions supplies that the americans left behind so now you're really swimming upstream and really sailing without a without a sail um yeah they've got all kinds of goodies to use against you now that uh there was the resistance is a little a little late It's going to be way harder now than it would have been two weeks ago. So it says, um, in a remote base in Afghanistan's Panjshir province, he's the son and successor to the legendary commander Ahmad Sa, Massad, a resistance leader against both Soviets and Taliban, until the later assassinated him on September 9th, 2001. As Kabul fell to the Taliban again, a young Mr. Massad issued a resounding call for resistance. We Afghans find ourselves in the situation of Europe 1940, he said on August 16th. Except in Panjshir, the debacle is near total and the spirit of collaboration with the Taliban is spreading among the vanquished who lost this war by their own failings. Only we remain standing and we will never yield. And so the Wall Street Journal visited Mr. Mossad last year and spoke with him by phone on Saturday. His voice was clear and resonant but choppy. And they asked about rumors circulating in Europe and the U.S. that he was preparing to give up. That's propaganda, he says. Apparently, there are defeatists among you who mistake their wishes for reality. So no, make this known. There is no question of giving up the fight. Here in Penshire, our resistance is just beginning. Well, that would have been nice had they started that uh, two weeks ago. Hmm. So we will leave you on that very contemplative note, um, and we will meet up again in four hours. So we do hope you join us, and I thank you for another fun tech news around the world. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Ellis.
2: See you soon. Bye. All right. Bye.
0: Thanks, Tyler.